Undertaker! You burnt the funeral home to the ground! And along with the funeral home, you killed your parents! You killed your family, Undertaker! Every time I put on the mandible claw, in my mind, that's Vince McMahon, and I'm saying, why didn't you take me when I was good? Why didn't you take me when I was young? As you pulled that sheet back, and I look at the burnt and charred body of the most wonderful woman that had ever walked on this earth, laid there, the air escaped from my lungs. I couldn't breathe. I thought I was going to be sick. But you insisted. You insisted that this small boy in the middle of the night go and look at the charred remains of what two days earlier was his family. Don't back me up for a belt, no. Don't back me up. The crew. My crew backed me up. Y'all didn't back me up. Why? Because I'm a black man. That's a year ago. You know, and I know, this should have happened then. I should have been the king of the ring a year ago. But because of you and your politics, I never got my shot, did I? Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time sheet of June of 1997 for Volume 1 of this month's show. Three volumes for you this month. Volume number two takes us to the WCW looking for the Great American Bash. And volume number three takes us to ECW looking at Wrestlepalooza. There's also actually four, isn't there? That's right. Volume number four, we're also looking at some boxing. You can tell I worked this out as I was saying it. Anyway, here in volume number one for the WWF looking at King of the Ring. I'm being joined first by Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, good morning. Good morning. And Dal Mueller, Dal, how is the early start doing this morning? It's fucking brittle, but at least you've made the first, the first fuck up of the day, so I'm quite happy. That is true. That is true. Speaking of fuck up, Stelz, kicks off with the news. Yes, uh, shoot fight backstage, apparently, last month at WWF with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Um, apparently, Shawn stormed out of the WWF altogether the night after King of the Ring and hasn't been seen since. The animosity between the, the two has certainly been building in the last couple of months, and so far, a truce. Um, has not really been called with a promos backing forward. It was broken by uh, by both parties during the during last month. Brett, by most accounts, was the first one to throw the first punch, but neither man came out particularly hurt. Sean stormed out a few minutes later, saying, "Quote unquote, fuck this shit." Um, it seems like Michaels has spoken to the company since via his lawyer, albeit, and on screen they do not. Um, did not take a chance to bury him, instead talking about a potential return. 
The working relationship between ECW and the WF seems fracturing over a disagreement over Rob Van Dam, um, how he's being used. With Rob Van Dam and the ECW crew arriving at the Raw taping on June 23rd, they were told that Van Dam was instead going to be wrestling on the shotgun taping. What the WWF had planned was Van Dam losing by disqualification after a back and forth with Jesse James, which rightly so ECW weren't happy with, given James' stature. ECW has been featured on television most weeks this month, and if plans hold together, it'll lead to a SummerSlam match between Van Damme and Lawler against probably Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman. And as we're going to be reviewing later on the show, this year's King of the Ring took place this month. It was won by Hunter Helmsley. Um, he defeated Mankind in the final of the tournament that apparently he would have won last year had it not been for politics. Um, just in case you're wondering if we have editorialised that, that's literally what Hunter said on Raw the next night. Um, elsewhere in the card, the Undertaker retained the title against Farouk. Shawn Michaels versus Steve Austin ended in a double DQ, and Goldust defeated Crushing, perhaps one of the low points of the show. Um, the Hart Foundation also won a six-man tag, and Jerry Lawler and Ahmed Johnson were their losing semi-finalists. The Nation of Domination has undergone a bit of a reshuffle this month, with everyone bar Rain Farouk and D'Lo Brown being cleared out of the group. Originally, the new lineup looked to be Farouk, D'Lo Brown, the returning Cameron Mustafa, and of all people, Ahmed Johnson. But Ahmed, now injured again, leaving the group likely to uh, need another member. Uh, Johnson was originally supposed to face Undertaker at the Canadian Stampede pay-per-view next week, but that will now be Undertaker versus uh, Undertaker versus Vader. Uh, the nation's rhetoric hasn't changed much upon hearing the news that Farouk outright asked Vince McMahon whether Vader was getting the shot because he was white. And totally injuries with Ahmed Johnson. Steve Austin apparently is carrying a quite a serious neck injury. Um, one doctor saying that he had the neck of a 60-year-old man and suggested he should retire. Um, Austin's seeking a few more opinions, but does seem as if he will be able to work through it, hopefully. Um, Psycho Sid, Flash Flunk, and uh, Doug Furness and Phil with four. Flash Flunk? That's a... Giving up badly through it at the moment. Ten o'clock in the fucking morning, we've got Flash Flunk. Uh, Psycho Sid, Flash Funk, and Furness and LaFawn were apparently involved in a pretty serious car wreck. Um, all apparently got out it largely unscathed, but Sid, driving well above the speed limit, Drove off the hard shoulder and flipped the car four or five times. No, it's not the Steiners in WCW. Um, also, Ultimate Fighter Dan Seven did appear in Raw this month. Done commentary for a match involving Ken Shanrock. Um, Vince was very positive about the, the UFC during the segment. And it seems like they're angling towards bringing in Seven on a short-term deal. There's also a brilliant bit of wordplay in the uh, second bit of Wayne's news there. Good luck to anyone who spotted that. Anyway, reminder that we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to say thank you or just to, you know, contri- say thank you or to get early access to our shows, I'm doing it at 10 o'clock in the morning as well. Uh, you can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs. Links on our website and in the podcast description. On to the ratings for the month on June the 2nd with Raw and Nitro back being head to head for the entire month. Nitro did a 3.2 to Raw's 2.7. Night after King of the Ring, Nitro the 3.4 to Royals 2.2. On June the 16th, the night after the Great American Bash, Nitro the 3.3 to Royals 2.4. On June the 23rd, Nitro the 3.2 to Royals 2.4. And we'll bring you June 30th rating next month. 
HBK, along with Stone Cold, Steve Austin, and Bret Hart. Those gentlemen, along with the entire world, want to know the extent of the injury, or should I say the re-injury. Will you be able to compete at the King of the Ring? Unlike the great Canadian Donovan Bailey, who incidentally smoked Michael Johnson yesterday. You know, it's funny, all these guys from Texas with their bad legs and their excuses. Well, I got an excuse, and that excuse is right there, Stone Cold Steve Austin has took it upon himself over and over and over to jump me. And now, you know, I'm on crutches. I've been in wheelchairs. I've been kicked, stomped, abused by American wrestlers. And it's the simple fact that they just, just don't want to allow me to step in the ring with them. So, Shawn Michaels, you don't get your big dream match. My doctors advised me that it would be a huge, huge risk for me to come back. And you owe it all to that scum. Your partner, Steve Austin, and now the King of the Ring match is not going to happen. You're all both going to have to wait to get your hands on me. Uh, Steve, surely you must be upset with this, Shawn Michaels. Well, you know, I do have a little bit of a problem with this. So first of all, you can always count on a Canadian smoking everybody in the U.S. But that's got nothing to do with the World Wrestling Federation here. Brett, you talk about making excuses. And here you just keep knocking them out one after another. But who do I have to thank for it? My good old buddy, my tag team partner, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You left me out there getting beat up by four guys. I can almost live with that, Steve. I can almost live with that. But the fact is, you took away the one chance that I had to rid the entire United States of Bret Hart. And for that, Steve Austin, I do fault you whether you like it or not. Well, see, that's your problem because you sit there and say, the United States of Bret Hart. I don't give a rat's ass about any place. I tried to take Bret Hart out for good. Maybe I didn't get the job done. You tried to take him out for good someday. What you've done, Steve, is not take him out for good. You've now eliminated any fact of being able to keep him from wrestling in the United States. Now all the options are left up to Bret Hart. And why? Because of you, Stone Cold. Whether you like it or not, you're the cause of all of this. I didn't cause anything. If you think I failed at what I said I was going to do, no, nah, because I ain't through with Bret Hart yet. But don't you ever say that I failed to do the job right. I'm not saying you failed to do the job right. I'm saying you I didn't do the saw. job at all. You didn't do it at all. What? You didn't do it at all! You already well, had it. you come over here and find me and I'll whip the hell out of your ass instead of Bret Hart's ass. Uh-oh. I ain't a hard person to find. All you got to do is walk your little carcass over here and I'll break your little heart. We start June with a recap of last week's tag title change where Austin and Michaels beat the Hart Foundation and The Undertaker bound before Paul Bearer. After the credits, Taker arrives in the arena. Vince joins the mid-ring to ask for an explanation for last week. He says he did it for his loved ones. Bearer comes out to say maybe he should do some talking, but as he says he'll be the ruler of the world, Sid's Sid's back. And he wants revenge for losing at Mania. Tonight, then we'll get Farouk out to say he'll be the one ruling the world at King of the Ring. After commercial, Farouk takes on Ahmed, but it ends in a schmoz with the nation and Taker getting involved. Farouk sneaking a pin to going into Sunday. 
The Hart Foundation joined Vince in the ring, Austin and Michaels on a split screen on the Titan Tron. Brett says his doctors ruled out in Sunday's match. Sean and Stone Cold argue amongst themselves. Pillman says Austin and Sean can square off on Sunday, but he wants Austin next. Bob Holly's got his title match out Owen Hart after last week's upset. Owen wins with the sharpshooter. We then get a quick win for Goldust over Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Our two starts hot as Austin and Michaels defend against the LOD. The odd couple fighting amongst themselves throughout, ending with the brawling on the outside causing a countout and officials tearing them apart. Worlds collide next as we get the latest instalment of Ross meets Foley and we see highlights from 1995 IWA King of a Death match. Mankind talks about carving his own niche, complete with his body stills aplenty. He calls the barbed wire rings with C4 explosions home and shows off his scars. Mankind then does his best to get a good Savio Vega match, Crush accidentally heart punching Savio and Mankind winning. Post match, Crush and Savio go at it. Main event time, it's the WrestleMania 13 rematch of Psycho Sid against The Undertaker for Tombstone for the win. Afterwards, the nation beat down Taker for Farouk's title match on Sunday, which leads us into the pay-per-view. I wrestled on beds of nails. I wrestled on 10,000 thumbtacks. I wrestled on C4 explosives. And the funny thing was, it didn't matter how mutilated I was, Physically, I healed myself spiritually because for the first time I was respected. I'll go so far to say I was loved. People lined up and chanted my name, Cactus Jack, Cactus Jack. They started telling me to line up like they do here to spit on me, to pee in paper cups and pour it on me. I had my dignity, and I'm not sure I've got it anymore. Obviously, uh, these matches in Japan were, were, were bizarre. They were dangerous, uh, career-threatening. If I'm not mistaken, you, I see you've been rubbing your arm there a lot since we've been talking. Uh, very significant scars there. Did those occur uh, in one of those matches in Japan you were talking about? He shall strip his sleeves and show his scars and see these wounds I had at St. Crispin's Day. And the good story shall be told from father to his son. For we shall be remembered. We few. We happy few. We brothers. For he who sheds his blood with me today shall be my brother. It's kind of touching, isn't it? No Shakespeare. You're very well read, aren't you? You see, Jimmy, it shows me that I'm not alone. There's nothing freaky about being proud. When I look in the mirror, you know what I see? I'd be afraid to guess. I don't, I don't really know. I see a life fulfilled. I see a road map of everywhere I've been. I just have to look and say, Tokyo, Japan. Munich, Germany. Louisville, Kentucky. And everywhere in between. So, on we could see to 
to, to look through, or at least one bit of that TV to look through before we get to the uh, pay-per-view itself. Just a quick word about the series this month. There's a lot going on. Um, impractical to really pick things off week by week because we'd be here for hours. Um, so what I think we'll do is we're basically going to, between kind of TV reviews, certainly after the pay-per-view, we'll basically pick a, a story arc relevant to a week where it was quite important, and then we'll probably discuss the entire month long of that arc after that week's worth of show. So it'll be a bit disjointed like that, but I think it's the best way of kind of segmenting these things off. So we're going to start with the the Mankind videos that we, you would have started seeing um, in May, basically a follow-on from the similar set of sit-down interviews that Jim Ross did with Goldust at the beginning of May. Um, and we'll discuss here, to a point, discussing what happens after the pay-per-view about Mankind's character change as well. Um, Dale, the, the segments have been, I, I think, extremely well received from the people watching them, certainly the kind of people that would read the dirt sheets and certainly the kind of people that listen to this show that will know much about Mick Foley's background, certainly in terms of WCW, ECW and some of his Japanese work. Um, but is this a bit of an admission that the Mankind failure has been a bit of a disaster, the Mankind character has been a bit of a disaster? Um, I think you could look at it that way. I think the way I'm looking at it is it's more just a testament to how much I don't really, I don't really care what kind of character you throw at the man. I think you're going to struggle to get something that's more more interesting really than, than Michael Foley. Um I just think he's he's over and above seemingly anything that can get through at him. Character wise, I just think he's that, that fascinating a guy, especially when you put a a camera in front of him and give him a give him a microphone. The the setup I think's been really cool with, with Jim Ross. It does almost feel like an editorial kind of journalism piece. Um but the the way that they've done this in the last couple of weeks and then obviously building up to to next week, I think they've just done really, really good. I think Foley is just bleeding through this this mankind character. It's like kind of just really kind of crossing the wires of what's what's real and what's fake, and what's character and what's man. And I just think he's he's really ran with it. I mean, we we spoke about it at the time when it came in. VCW, they're going to be able to capture the magic of Foley as opposed to a character's Jack or this mankind thing that they were kind of drawing up at the time. Um, but as I say, I think it's just a, a case that is as interesting as I kind of find the Mankind character. I just think it's it's far more far more entertaining to an audience and obviously backstage at the Fed as well that the man himself is just that bit better, I think. Why? Yeah, I personally don't believe this is more of an admittance of a failed Mankind character. I think it's just more the direction of the, of the company at the minute being a, a, you know more realistic. Getting, getting rid of cartoonish characters, which you could probably say that, you know, Mankind was a little bit darker, but it was also, you know, still in the same, uh, the same bracket as all the other cartoon characters that we've seen over the previous years. Um, so what's happening with him and, and Undertaker? I'd say it's more, um, just, you know, adding that bit of realism that we've, uh, that we've probably not seen, uh, given the backstories that we're, that we're now seeing from, uh, you know, from Mick Foley. Um, you know, you guys have, have probably seen a heck of a lot more of this guy in ECW than, than what I have done, but from what I have seen in ECW, um, you know, he's, he's probably one of the A-plus players when it comes to being believable. Um, you can really buy into uh, to what he's saying, and, you know, it was easy to feel sorry for, uh, you know, for, for Mick Foley 
um, you know, all through the actual promos and, and the narration from uh, from Jim Ross with his backstory through these interviews. And, you know, I firmly believe that's why he's one of the best at, at being believable. Um, you know, it wasn't a slow build. I'd probably say it was something that happened literally over the course of a, a few of these segments where he was gone from, from heel to a babyface. Um, and, you know, it was actually done in the interviews rather than the matches being played. You know, we're, we're probably going to talk about Ahmed Johnson, but his turn was done by turning on, on, a, on, a, on a fellow first character, whereas not, nothing like that was happening with Mankind. It was literally him giving his story out um, and us actually turning with him um, and, and, and getting fully behind him. So I think it's more, you know, the realism of his uh, of the direction that we're going, and you know, given the backstory of Mick Foley and referencing Cactus Jack and, and the old matches, and I particularly like the uh, the discussion about um, mapping out where he's been around the world by the scars on his body. It was uh, was absolutely fantastic. So uh, no, it's uh, I think it's uh, good all round with uh, with the direction that we're moving here. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, uh, as we chronicled in a lot of depth in, in 95, like, Mick Foley's A-star a hand was his promos, and I kind of felt like when they brought him in, the the character they put him with, they being the WWF, the character they put him with just didn't really give him a brilliant way of accentuating that. I mean, Foley was cutting really nice promos as Mankind, but, like, it was, like, you know, to a point, it was probably in a straight jacket, which ironically he was in at one point. Um, but it, it, it just to me, you know, I mean, I, I kind of pair this with the gold dust thing. Now, I think the, the gold dust thing is a much bigger admittance of a, a character they tried just completely failed. Um, and now they're basically running gold dust dressed as gold dust, playing dust in roads, um, which I think is far better than anything he's been able to do as Goldust in a character like Goldust. Um, and, you know, you get to the point where you just think, well, just take the face paint off and call yourself Dustin Rose. It might help you get over more. This is a little different, but I don't think it's significantly different. I don't know that this is much of a change from that point of view in the sense that he was involved in, I would say, unarguably the feud of the year last year, assuming we can discount the NW Road stuff against The Undertaker. And yet, I'm not entirely sure he's, he's been all that over. Like, the feud kind of dissipated a bit while Taker moved on to his own stuff regarding the championship in WrestleMania. And Mankind, okay, Sean of really a program amongst anything else, just kind of flatlined, and he wasn't getting great reactions. He wasn't having great matches. Certainly this year, he wasn't, hasn't really been having great matches. And I just think that, they kind of thought, shit, we need to do something with this. Because I did hear something last month about whether his contractual status being up, but I think that was next year. Um, and maybe they just thought, okay, we've got to do something with this. But I don't know what it says that the, the something they've done with it is just, okay, let's shoot on this guy. And Dale, I don't know what it says that this is far more interesting than anything they could have come up with. You could say that. I mean, they did come up with the idea essentially. So I mean, it is good that they've that they've noticed that and they can see that it is that it is getting somewhere. Because as you say, the I, I just mean the it's far more interesting to tell the truth than it is to seemingly create a character. Totally. Like, I mean, I, I know it's truth's always made entertaining than a made up lie, isn't it? Unless you're Mister Heyman. But um, no, I think they've I think they've done really well, and he's he's just got one of the. He's got that kind of everyman quality when you see him, even when he's sat there with Jim Ross, he's still in the he's still in the mask. It's not like the, the gold dust stuff where you see him where 
you see him, it wasn't called Dustin Marlena. It was it was Dustin and it was Dustin and Terry that was sitting there, and and Mick Foley is still sat there with the mankind mask, and it is essentially still mankind that's there. But when you just bleed through these wee bits of reality into it, it just makes it really really captivating stuff. And I think they've they've possibly fell upon this accidentally, but they have certainly found something we we get in the character to kind of come across to an audience and I think they've done they've done really well but it just shows how good a performer the man is. I mean, we were going back a couple of years ago and hearing about his uncle Willie in Japan during the war and I mean there's just there's so much depth here that it's kinda it's probably scarier the depth that this man's got as a human being than it is the character that they tried to create, which again goes back to your point about uh, they should maybe just let him come in and be fully. Well, you know, I know it doesn't make much, you know, I know Bayface don't really make much sense in 97, but does does this, can this version of the character get over as a face? Even, you know, not that, you know, traditional faces are really over these days, but can a, a wacky, hybrid Mankind Mick Foley character get over? Um, yeah, I think it can. I think we've, you know, we, 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 we've seen it that, um, you know, Rewind two years ago, and it was much more of a uh, of a younger audience that was um, uh, that was watching the product. Uh, being uh, we're now seeing the crowd being um, you know the market the market demographic is what probably said teenagers. To, don't get me wrong, there's still some kids and, and female uh, female audience um, there as well, but we're getting much more of um, uh, you know a, a, a teenage and you know young young adult. So the fact that we're going to see this kind of uh, Mitt Foley uh, that we probably saw in uh, in ECW when he had the you know the backing of uh, of, of those um, watchers when he was on the when he was teaming with you know Mikey Whipwreck and, and and things like that you know they were behind him then he was he was over then as uh, as not traditional face but you know he wasn't playing a, a, a total heel so yeah I think it's something that we can uh, that we can definitely see us um, you know get you know seeing this this character portrayed in, in, in that role. I think it's unarguably got more of a chance than Mankind as of three months ago. I think him, you know, he's, we'll see it kind of on the show, he's doing the bang-bang stuff, he's, he's bringing back the apron elbow and all that kind of stuff. Like a, a hybrid Cactus Jack Mankind character might be the best of everything. Um, as in, I'd be surprised if they let him come back as Cactus Jack, given that that was his WCW gimmick. Um, I suppose that's to a point ECW, you've played it elsewhere. Um, but yeah, letting letting that character bleed through, um, I just don't know that had you called him Cactus Jack and he'd have kind of played the Cactus Jack character, I don't know whether we wouldn't be here already. That's kind of my point. I don't know whether it's almost like he's going to have to breakthrough in spite of the mankind gimmick, not because of it. And I think we'll we'll wait and see that how that uh, how that all plays out. Anyway, straight on to the pack view itself. King of the Ring, Dell, can kick us off with the results. Yep, first up Bob with the two semi finals we've got Hunter Hurst Helmsley. He defeated Ahmed Johnson and Mankind defeated Jerry Lawler. On to the, the middle of the card we've got Gold Dust from Arlena beating Crush. Crush was still out with Delo and Clarence Mason as part of the nation at this point. Gold Dust win. Um, the Heart Foundation, which was Owen, Davey and Jim Nightheart. They beat Psycho Sid and the Legion of Doom. 
And then into the final of the King of the Ring, it was Hunter Helmsley against Mankind. Hunter, Hels- uh, Hunter Hurst Helmsley winning and is now the King of the Ring for 1997. Semi-main, it was Sean and Steve Austin. It ended in a double disqualification between the two, cha- uh, two tag champs. And then the main event was Undertaker with Paul Bearer and he beat Farouk, who was out with Crush, Savio, Dilo and Clarence Mason. Undertaker still your World Wrestling Federation champion. Why? what do you think of this, Sean? Check out the Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin match, and this was just another episode of, of Raw uh, for me. Um, wasn't great by by any means. Um, I think we had an, a, an underwhelming King of the Ring winner. Um, maybe this King of the Ring um, act is, is now starting to win a little bit. Now we've seen it for four Four years, um, so um, yeah, I know that there was there was talk that it was going to be Vader and he was injured, and, and, and they put the uh, um, they give it to Hunter Hearst Helmsley, but I'm not quite sure there was uh, there was anybody else that we that they could have gone with. Uh, that probably says a lot more about the uh, the guys that they've got uh, in that kind of upper mid card uh, level at the moment. But uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't enjoy this uh, apart from the match that we'll probably talk in some length. I think we've had five. Brad in 93, Owen in 94, Mabel, God forbid, in 95, uh, Austin last year and Hunter this year. That'll be five yeah. along with all the other kind of non-pay-per-view iterations. Del? Possibly a bit harsh with Wayne, but it's, it's hard to argue with him. Um, I would probably stick in the, the final match of the King of the Ring tournament. I thought went pretty decent. Obviously, they started the Sean and Stone Cold match was really, really good, but there was a lot of filler in this. I mean, it is my, my three-year anniversary, Bobby, as we spoke about in the last time I was doing King of the Ring, it was Jerry Lawler and Piper. So, if that was the main event, I think we've certainly kind of... Could, could be next year as well, if it's well, right. I don't believe that. But um, I'd say we've came a long way. The, the biggest kind of takeaway I had for that one in 94 was there was just too many matches. I think we still had the quarters it might have even, in fact, I think it was the quarters that started on, so you're basically doubling the tournament matches. Um, it did give us that nugget of Owen Hart and the one, two, three kid that I won't drag up again to you because it'll just annoy you. But I think they've stripped the brackets back. That what The only problem is, though, when you're stripping the brackets back and you've got a roster that doesn't really have too much power, especially when you're throwing in like a crush and a gold dust, it kind of takes away for the good bits of the show. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm quite short of praise on this show. There, there were there were guys trying hard. Um, I just don't know how many matches on this show anyone wanted to see, and that is always a problem. Like you go back to you know go back to last month in WCW. Okay, it's Flair in the Carolinas. It's a it's an open goal to a point. Um, but you get to that main event. And the crowd are fucking excited. Match hasn't even started yet. Guys are walking out. The crowd are on their fucking feet. Because there's a match they want to see. And that's not just because of Flair. They had a match and a, a six-man that people wanted to watch. You get to this, and it's like, you know, I, I had my own problems with what they've done with Austin in the last couple of months. So they keep putting Austin in matches people don't want to see him in. And I get the feeling that might be something they might finally be able to rectify because the match we want to see is Austin against the Hart Foundation in some way, shape or form. Whether a one-on-five handicap match would be a great idea, I don't know. 
Um, but they keep putting Austin in matches with people not only that they don't want to see, but also against people that are more popular than Austin is, which doesn't help. Um, and the rest of the card was just flat. Um, you know, with the occasional exception, they tried hard in the final, let's say that. Anyway, let's kick things off with Ahmed Johnson versus Hunter Hess Helmsley with China in the first King of the Ring semi-final. As a big cheer for Ahmed Johnson, he shoves over Helmsley after a grapple, then leaves him with a shoulder tackle, and he's in complete control. Hunter chops Ahmed in the corner, but that just seems to piss him off. Ahmed puts him in a gorilla press position, lifts him up a few times before dropping him. Ahmed comes out of the corner with a clothesline, misses a standing elbow, and Helmsley whips him into the ring steps. Ahmed hits a nice scissor kick. Helmsley gets a running knee onto Ahmed, who was distracted by China, for hitting the pedigree and winning the match. Ahmed jumps up bloody quickly, and he chases them to the back. Wayne? Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I thought this was quite boring. Um, you know, it's, I think it's more Ahmed Johnson. He just can't work a match. You know, he's still clumsy. He's, you know, he's got no rhythm. Um, I, I feel like I'm always hard on, on this guy whenever I'm on doing the WWF review shows with, uh, with yourself whenever he's on there. I don't think I've ever uh, called a, a, or, or given him a, a good review. Um, I'm quite happy that the uh, you know that they've not gone down the route of um, of, of making him the overall winner. Um, you know, going into this, it, it could have quite easily that they w- would have gone down that route, uh, building him up, considering that. The company's been further behind him in, in in recent times, and you know he's still he's still getting pops from from the crowd. So maybe that's why. Um, but I, I just thought that they've realised that you know they can't get anything anything out of him, and uh, and that's why they've uh, gone a bit cold. That is what I was saying before I realised that he was potentially going to be in a match with with Undertaker. But uh, I'm going off uh, on a tangent here. The match itself. Uh, quite boring, didn't really get into it, and uh, you know I'm, I'm just glad it didn't last as uh, you know like the length of the other matches that we're probably going to review. No, uh, it, it's a kind of tricky problem, Ahmed Johnson. I, I personally like him, but it, it's quite when you get into the brass tacks of what is it you like about him, it's quite a short list, and it's kind of hard to justify it really when you get into it. Um, when you stick him in there with somebody that can kind of dance around about him, it kind of works, but when you get him in there with Helmsley, who's equally slow, you kind of knew what you were getting coming into this. Um, the crowd still seemed to be buying that the crowd actually done them a few favours pretty much all night long, I think, because it could have been a, a good bit worse if they were now inside with it. Um, but the actual match itself it was a bit kind of Madison Square Garden undercard in like nineteen seventy eight. No, I mean it was just kinda of big move, wait for a wee bit of applause, another big move, just play to the crowd a wee bit. It just it never really got out of second gear. Um Aye, not really much else you can say about it really. No, it's fairly sure. I, I suspect they, they made it that way because of the that they knew how long Hunter was gonna go in the uh in in the final later on. Um but yeah, as a result, like nothing really happened. Just like a, an exhibition exchange of moves, and then they went straight to a finish. I was only about two or three minutes long, I think, or felt like it. Probably a bit longer. Um, but yeah, like you know, I, I don't, I don't even think Ahmed had long enough to really do anything stupid. You know, like it was just Ahmed doing moves. Um, and crowd don't care about Hunter ourselves. They, they care a bit about China. Um, and yeah. Let's move on. Straight into match number two, Mankind versus Jerry the King Lorna in the other King of the Ring semi-final. Mankind grabs the mic and asks where Paul Bear has gone. Apparently he has more important things to do. What kind of king would you like me to be? 
What kind of king would you like Mrs. Foley's baby boy to be? He does the Cactus Jack bang bang. King comes out and does his usual pre-match jokes on the way to the ring. Mankind gives Laura a wave as he gets to ringside. Lawler goes on for so long that Mankind starts after him and they fight by the announcer's table. Mankind looks for the claw. Lawler bails to the floor. Lawler gets a couple of shots in with an object pulled from his trunks and then hits the bulldog. Lawler actually starts to bite Mankind on his missing ear. Don't know Oh, well, that really makes sense. The crowd are really flat with Lawler on offence. I'm not sure about this half baby faced Mankind character at the moment. Lawler ends up being sat up against the ring steps. Mankind charges at him and then basically crashes head first into them as Lawler moves. Lawler hits a pile driver on the floor. He awaits a count out, but Mankind recovers quickly before Lawler drop kicks him back outside. Mankind gets in a right and a leg drop. They fuck something up. Lawler then drops a forearm from the top. Ross claimed he was going for the ear. I'm not really sure that makes sense from the top rope. Mankind counters a pile driver, then sits out on a sunset flip for applying the mandible claw for the submission win. Now, Again, I think it was just a case of let's just get Mankind and Helms like the final here. Um, Jerry Lawler, back kind of 15, 15 20 years ago, is as over an act as you're probably going to see. In that environment, I think when you kind of expose him, so to speak, given his troubles, um, when you put him in this kind of environment, it kind of just shows him up. You've seen it right for the start when you see Foley on the the microphone, and then Lawler comes out, it kind of showed him up. And when you can show up Jerry Lawler on a live microphone in front of a crowd that's pretty hot, you're probably punching above your weight, really. Um, the mankind in the final spot, Kind of made sense to mankind as a king spot, didn't he? Didn't he really appeal to me at this point? It just didn't seem to fit when you see a character like that with a crown and a scepter. It didn't really fit. But as, as we said at the start, I mean, they tried. Um, I don't think you're ever really going to get a, a mankind phoning it in. He did throw his cell about. Um, the crowd again still into it. They kind of undersold the, the foreign object bit with all. I thought I might have gave it some kind of credence for a commentating point of view. The finish was alright with the end at the the sunset for Jerry and then uh, Mankind just gets the claw in, but again, there's, there's not really much to this. Why? Yeah, I totally agree with Dell on this one. Um, I think it was more of a case of, uh, you know, let's just portray Mankind in this new um, character that that he's, uh, that he's now portraying, um, you know, through through a match with what they'd like to throw out as, uh, as, as what can work a, a heel match um with, with Jerry Lawler as, as you know as we saw that with uh, like Dell pointed out the you know pulling the pulling the foreign objects from his tights whether he was actually pulling anything from his tights is uh, was hard to believe um but he was certainly putting his hand down there and, and, and that holding a clenched fist when it was coming out but uh, um Laurel in, in in this kind of uh, in this kind of role now uh, in this day and age with with WWF is uh He's a bit aged. Um, I think the Observer called it called it right when they said um, he's playing. He's a forty-seven year old um, portraying a Jerry Lawler gimmick, and and, and that probably uh, uh, that probably says everything that you need to know about uh, Jerry Lawler, and, and, you know, in this current setup. Um, the match, I, I totally agree. I thought uh, with Dell, I thought you know it was a nice setup of, uh, of the actual finish. Um, you know the sunset flip into the reverse of the mandible claw was was well executed, um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't really um, didn't really buy anything into the match it, uh, it itself. Um, whether it was believable of uh, of mankind working um, 
you know, that baby first role, trying to garner sympathy, like you just said, Bob, it, you know, it's not as if that was going over as as well received or not. But there's time to tell on, on, on that one altogether. Um, so, yeah, I think it was more of a case of let's just get this match out of the way and let's just play it up in the next match. Yeah, I, I think Lawler's like uh, you know, I think Lawler's quite effective in his role with Van Damme, but I don't think I don't think anyone buys Lawler credibly as a singles act anymore. I mean, unless you're in Memphis, say. I just think Lawler's the guy that you know nobody thinks is going to be pushed in any way, shape, or form on his own um, on nationwide television, which is fine. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm quite a fan of what they've been doing with him and Van Dam on the whole. I suspect it's going to be better in ECW than it will be in the WWF. But I think that works. I just don't know. I don't know why Mankind versus maybe they thought we'll put Lawler in there just so that it might help Mankind get cheers. That didn't really work. It did a bit, um, but it didn't. It only. You know, it only worked because he just happened to be a heel. I don't know that he'd have put him in the ring with anyone else of any kind of note that wouldn't have been better. Um, the match was okay. I mean, I'm, you know, Mankind doesn't need to be kidding himself when he's got another match later on. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's really no need to do all this stuff, smashing your head into the ring steps and all of that. But it was fine. It was better than the first match. Um, both these guys have been around long enough where I, I suspect they could have done half of the work and still got the same kind of types of reaction. Um, but yeah, just another match that wasn't particularly memorable. Lawler... Lawler as a singles act really needs to be done, I think. I don't there's any benefit of him of him working unless it's a very, very special situation. Um, you know, I say I'm not being critical of Lawler in his role in ECW stuff that we'll come on to later on. I just don't think you hear it works. People just don't buy it. Um, but yeah, match is okay. They, they they both work quite hard. I, I you know I think it, there's there's far worse pairings I think you could have put in this situation. Equally, I think you could have had a perhaps a more compelling match with a more verbal opponent for mankind. Anyway, Brian Pillman is wearing the Aust- an Austin three sixteen shirt backstage. Except he's crossed out the three sixteen and spray painted on six nine ninety seven, which is today's date. Pillman says he's here to watch Michaels violate that rat's ass. He says that Austin walks up behind him and slams him through a grate for beating him up in a toilet. Now, that segment was working really quite well because um, they had the camera on the outside and Austin and Pillman were fighting deeper into the toilet or into the bathroom rather. And then Austin puts Pillman in the cubicle and then we inexplicably cut to a shot above the mm. cubicle. We kind of see Jerry Lawler's spy cam that he's unfortunately set up in the men's room instead of the ladies' room. <laughs> but. Um... Ah, it, it, it did get a bit meta, didn't it? Um, the, the worrying thing for me, as soon as i seen this, because I love Pillman and I love Austin, and when I mean, you see them and it gives you the flashback to the Hollywood Blondes, dare I say, in another time, when we're done talking about this, this is probably still going to be in the top three moments of the night, which is a bit worrying. But uh, as I said, I think the two of them done really well. Um, the, the biggest bit for me was see the, when you're standing there with Pillman just doing his interview, and the crowd actually popped just to see Stone Cold just getting his wee beady eyes around the corner. And it's like, well, that's a sign that this guy's going somewhere. Um, that you can get a reaction like that in a pre-tape to a live audience on the on the screen. And they're still getting reactions like that. Just shows you how cool this guy pretty is. Um, but no, it was, a good, it was a good wee bit. It just didn't really make sense with the spy cam for me. Why? Yeah, I don't think there's any, any more to add on that. I thought it was a great segment by the uh, by, by the final shot. Um, yeah, no. Uh, yeah. 
I'd, I'd go with that as well. Pelman's really good. Austin's really good. You know, you put them, you put them out there for 90 seconds backstage. I'd be very, very surprised if they weren't. Uh, next up, it's Crush with the Nation of Domination Jobbers versus Goldust with Marlena. Ross says, you can call him the natural, you can call him Dustin Runnels, which kind of begs the question, well, why not just call him Dustin Runnels? Anyway, we start on the outside as Goldust slams Crush's head off the ring steps. Goldust hits a 10-punch, rubs himself a bit, and then kisses Crush. Why I think about it, there was a line in one of the newsletters this month that was just this brilliant line that said... Uh, what was it? Oh, that's right. Crush uh, hit a hard punch on Savio Vega's face. That was quite good. The old the hard, hard punch to the face. Well, there was that. Anyway, <laughs> I thought I'd bring that up I remember it. Goldust goes for a body slam, but his back gives out. We get a long chin lock by Crush. This goes on forever. Seriously, this is going on forever. Goldust finally counters by catching Crush in the nuts. Crush hits a gut buster for a near fall. The other members of the nation are intimidating Marlena. Goldust hits a bulldog, then drops to the ringside. Goldust lays him out, but Crush gets in a cheap shot. Goldust hits a big DDT for the win. Wayne? If I if I suffered from insomnia, I think I would have just been cured by this match. This this was ridiculous. Um, why they was given nine minutes is beyond me. Obviously, it was to fill time. I get that, but this was that bad. I probably would have took nine minutes more of, uh, of Ahmed Johnson. That's how bad this was. Um, the last thing it needed was uh, was the rest hold that like you just uh, described. Just seemingly went on for forever. Um, super boring. Nothing going on. Um, you know, it was quite a ridiculous finish as well. If you if you ask me, it was just like a DDT out of nowhere, and there you go, match over. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it was god awful. Dal, did anyone want to see this match? Mine's page and booty man for last year. And then there was Man, the th- 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 this wasn't that bad. It was fucking close. It really was. Well, close. Wasn't that seventeen minutes? I think though? it went sixteen, seventeen. So mercifully, it could have been a shite sight worse, but it was certainly in the same kind of ballpark for a discussion. I would say, um, as much as I knew we were going to get quite a slow meandering affair with with Helmsley and Johnson, I would quite happily have seen that go quarter an hour. If it meant we shaved five minutes half, that's five ten minutes half. That's this was this was really poor. Um, this was kind of like the matches I was talking about at the start when you may be fitting out the brackets and you've got a lot more matches and you would expect them to work this slow just because they're kind of keeping themselves because they're going to be doing double duty. This had no excuses whatsoever. As much as we've had. A, a pretty bad match and a pretty bang average match so far. These two are put in a position where we've got the, the semis out of the way. We've got these two are out for one match and one match only. See what they can do. Try and get the crowd on side. Fill out the card, and they just died in its arse. The the gold dust character I like, even what they've been doing with them with the full kind of blood in the lines with Dustin Runnels or Dustin Rhodes or whatever you want to call him. It. It's still got some credence, the character, but I mean, I've never, I mean, I think a couple of months ago I was trying to get crushed fucking ritually sacrificed. I think you might be made on side when we were that one now because it wouldn't have meant we'd have to watch this. That is a fair point. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, the, you know, we talk about those Goldust segments from last month, like, people still don't really care about him. He's going to be in the main event of next month's show, I mean, God knows how that's going to go. Um, but yeah, like Crush is a a, a flat character. So it was at this point. That might have changed by the end of the month a little bit. 
Is he flat because he looks as if the tattoo and he said as if he's been run over by a child's bicycle? Is that why he's flat? (laughs) That could be a reason, yeah, (laughs) amongst many. Um, And yeah, Goldust, like, you know, like, none of this is working. Like, you know, they talk about how it was, you know, such a brave thing to do this, you know, out there character. It's like, nobody gives a shit. And that's the that's the main point. And now, like the, I suspect what I suspect, mankind is a far better character actor than Dustin Runnels is, or should I say, Mick Foley. And so I suspect he's far more able to be able to kind of bleed between mankind, Cactus Jack, Mick Foley. Um, and also, I just think that the, you know, like Gold Dust was was as a dead character. I've never been that convinced by Dustin Rhodes. Like I think he, he made it work at times when he was working with good opponents and he was able to just have that baby face fire in, in places where the Rhodes name meant something. Um there's just nothing here. Fuck it, let's move on. We get backstage from promo with the Legion of Doom and Sid. Animal says the LOD are tight, but what about Sid? Sid cuts every promo he's cut in the past two years. We move on next to the Hart Foundation, the British Bulldog. Owen Hart and Jim the Anvil, Mind Hart versus the Legion of Doom, Red Warrior, Hawk and Animal and Sid. We start off with Animal and Owen. Animal chucks Owen across the ring. The crowd are chanting for Sid as Owen gets dumped to the mat and ca- catapulted into the corner with Sid and Hawk in it. In tags Sid with a big shit-eating grin on his face as he comes off of the second rope. Owen tags in Bulldog, Sid looks a bit less happy, but he gets egged on by the crowd to take part in a test of strength. Bulldog sells a dummy and goes for a suplex, Sid gets straight back up and levels Bulldog with a right. Hawk comes off of the top with a clothesline to Anvil. Bulldog hits the pile drive, but Hawk no-sells it, because, well, fuck, why not? Owen hits a spin-wheel kick and Animal gets round into the ring set, so Anvil hits him with a chair. We get a nice slingshot double team between Owen and Neidhart. Owen comes off to the top with a drop kick. Animal slams Bulldog, who chases him up the turnbuckles and hits the superplex. Owen gets fired into Animal, hitting a running shoulder block. Owen comes up, Hawk, sorry, comes off to the top with a splash, but misses. Bulldog hits a slam, then misses a leg drop. Sid finally tags back in and the match breaks down. He chokes down Bulldog, sets for a powerbomb. Owen comes off to the top with a lovely float over Sunset Flip and pins Sid. Very nice finish that. Del. Thank the Lord for Owen Hart in a match like this because he's no in there with a group of workers and my God, that boy had to put a shaft in to try and get the the best out of some of these. Um, I would like to think he gets paid more than the rest of them just based on his work ethic, but he's sadly probably the least paid in the entire match, which is a bit of an irritance. Um, he might get more than Anvil. Maybe, but I don't know. Jim's got the, the Full Heart Foundation legacy. He's probably still getting paid more than Owen. And Owen. Oh, you're right. He's not getting paid any more than any of the others. I'll definitely say that. Um, as I say, it's a bit of an irritance, but it's significantly less of an irritance than fucking Hawk no-selling pile drivers, which even in 1997 can still irritate the fuck out of me. And I know he's made a career out of it, but fuck's sake, Hawk. Um, it was a decent do, you think, do you think that was a trade-off? We'll lose the match so long as I can... Probably, because you know what they're like. They're, they're just like that. I mean, Animal to a less extent. I mean, Joe's always been better than Hawk, but for kind of just being less of a prick. But if that's your, if that's your claim for being the better half of a tag team just because you're less pricky, then it's not really the biggest seller. But... Um, I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not a big fan of a lot of the people that's in this. I mean, I think the the Road Warriors and their daily kind of reactions and things that they used to get was something. Even when the Legion of Doom came in, what 
92 or whatever it was, I, I still liked them. I mean, the, the spikes are cool and things like that, but as a match, you're, you're never going to get much out of them. And then when you've got um, Davey to a lesser extent, but Jim Nighthart, I've, I've never really been a, a tremendous fan of either. And, I mean, this, this was literally just Owen Hart in this match for me with five name your, name your randoms, really. Um, Sid seems to be getting kind of decent reactions again. I, I don't know whether that's a bad sign that we're maybe going to see him in a title match again come August. But, I mean, it's, it was decent. It, was, it wasn't really any better. It wasn't really any worse. I thought Jim Ross done pretty good on the on commentary. Owen put a shift in for work-wise. Other than that, there wasn't really much to it. Wayne, best match of the night so far? <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it wasn't great by any means, really, was it? Um, I think it was just best of a bad bunch. But, uh, yeah, like Del said, um, you know, thank God Owen Hart was, uh, was in this match because if it would have just been uh, all those uh, super heavyweights um, going at it, then uh, then it probably just would have been, uh, been really, really hard to take. Um, I think... Like you know, we, uh, the, the two of you have, have made mention it, but uh, I, you know, I was also going to talk about the uh, the no selling from from Hawk. Not only did he no sell the pile driver, but he counted it into a clothesline. It was just it's you know it's absolutely ridiculous. So uh, like Dell said, even in 1997, you know, we still having to to go through it. It's uh, you know it's not something that I want to do. So that's why from forever forever been known, it's no longer LOD. It's no sell OD. That's what I'm starting to call them now because, uh, you know, that's all they do in, in the matches. Um, yeah, Sid had his, had his good and his bad points. Like Del pointed out, you know, are we now going to see um, Sid in, in, in the main event picture again come next few months, whether it's SummerSlam or a little bit further beyond that, um, considering that he's still garnering that, um, you know, that, that uh, you know, that crowd favouritism from, um, uh, from, from, from that audience. But, yeah, I think it was just another filler match. Get, just get guys on, uh, you know, on 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 the pay per view. Let's let's draw it out a bit, um, and let's get set up for the uh, for the final of King of the Ring. It was just what what was it? It was it was what it was. Fucking up the words. Don't don't hold your uh, don't hold your breath on the old no sell OD shirts. Let's say that. Um, Surely all I- LD would be better. But. Well, that was that was the typo non typo Dave Meltzer made, made this month in the, uh, in the in the Observer as well. Um, yeah, I I you could make the case this was the best match on the card, um, which really? not surprised. Yeah, no, I think you could. Um, I'm not say say I'm gonna make it, but I'll, I'll present it if nothing else. Um, in the sense that. I spoke about in the matches before this, and I spoke about in the intro about matches people want to see, matches people care about. And I don't know that any of the final three matches that we're going to cover really fit that bill for one reason or another. And I kind of feel like, you know, there's other things about that as well, but I kind of feel like this had a, a babyface team people wanted to cheer, a heel team people didn't like. And also a situation where, from a booking standpoint, they found Sid and the Legion of Doom expendable enough to the point where they could put over the heel team cleanly and decisively, which they managed to, which I think was effective. And I actually seem to like this match a lot more than most. Maybe it's just the style I like. Maybe it was the crowd interaction that was stronger in this than it was in most of the other matches. Um, But between that, six 
big guys. I didn't even think the work was that bad. It's a bit clunky at times, but it's just it's the it's the brawly style of the guys who got involved. Really, it's the brawl power style of you know five of the six guys really. Um, and a really nice finish to boot. I just thought that you know of, of all the other matches, I feel like I could rip significant holes into it. This one, I thought they got just about right. I'm not saying it was the best match on the card. Dow, any thoughts on that? Ah, you need to stop watching the Coco Beware and Warlord tapes, man. Seriously. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's move on. <laughs> the King of the Ring final. It's Mankind versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley with China. Jim Ross is now referring to him as Mickey Foley. As Mankind sells his neck. Mankind starts stomping on Hunter. Hunter escapes to the floor and Mankind starts firing in some rights as they brawl on the floor. Mankind gets fired into the corner then eats a swinging neckbreaker. He ends up recovering in front of China who gets a shot in. Mankind gets caught in the handman spot. The referee releases him pretty quickly as Jim Ross shouts, Good Lord, he's hung! Thanks for that, Jim. <laughs> Mankind gets shot into the ring steps. He later drops Hunter across the ropes for a two and then again. Mankind hits a running knee into Helsley in the corner. We're on the outside and Hunter takes a back body drop onto the concrete floor. Mankind predictably drops an elbow from the apron onto the concrete floor. As ever, it's his hips I feel for. Jim Ross says, Some people are going to say they learn how to fall, but how do you learn to fall on concrete? Mankind pins him in the ring. The ref gets the count after China distracts him and Hunter barely gets the shoulder up. Mankind counts as a pedigree and we then get the same finish from the semi-final with Mankind putting in the mandible claw. But this time China pulls him out of the ring. Mankind hits an atomic drop, then a clothesline, then another clothesline, sending them both to the floor. He goes for a shot off the apron, but China pulls Hunter out of the way, and Mankind hits the guardrail. Hunter then hurt, throws him into the ring steps. Hunter gets Mankind on the announcer's table and pedigrees him onto it, eventually just kind of crumples. That looked really good. China then lamps Mankind with the scepter. Mankind is draped in the ropes, and Hunter knees into the floor. Hunter drags into the ring, goes for a pin, and Mankind barely kicks out. Hunter hits another pedigree, and that's enough for the win. After the match, China goes out to Todd Pettengill, then make, that makes her an instant babyface in my mind. <laughs> this coronation is a bit more low-key. There's no scepter as China has destroyed it, and Hunter takes the crown and hits Mankind over the head with it. Wayne? Oh, um, Luke, I fully believe that both of these can, can work a match um, in the right style. But I think in hindsight, 20 minutes was uh, was just too long for this match. Um, if you just shave off the first five minutes, which in my opinion was was really slow, um, you know we could have lost that part of the match, and you know it probably would have made it a little bit better in my eyes. But uh, I think all that together just uh, you know impacted on there being no heat uh, during the match at all. Um, I thought the crowd was quite restless, and to be honest with you, so was I. Um, the, you know, there were some spots in there, um, you know, that, you know, just Mitt Foley being Mitt Foley, really, taking, um, you know, t- taking all the bumps and the bruises, um, which obviously will, that's the style that will probably fit, you know, the uh, the route he's going down now. Um, but, yeah, the, you know, the decision, you know, I thought it was the right call to have fun to win the match. Um, that's not saying that, you know, I think he um, is, is a big you know, is, is a big winner of, uh, of this. I think it's just more that, in, you know, it probably would have been too soon for mankind, uh, considering he's just turned. Um, you know, it probably would have been, you know, too soon to have him in uh, as, as the overall winner. And in all honesty, I think it will actually do him better for him to take the loss uh, as we can sympathise with him more. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, the match too long. 
sport right call having uh, mankind lose. No. I totally agree with Wayne on the outcome. The the four-way being the the sympathetic kind of runner-up, Helmsley getting the crown and just being even more an insufferable prick. Totally works. I think the match, it probably could have done with maybe a five, six-minute shave, but they did well. It's certainly the match of the night. I mean, kind of going back to what we were talking about with the tag match, this is match of the night for me so far. But... um. If Hunter could just work that that little bit quicker, just that slight bit quicker, it would just make him so much more watchable. He does. He has a good. He's a he's a good grafter in there. I think there is something to him, but he's just he's too keen to slow it down at any given opportunity. Um, right at the start, I mean, he's never away from the ringside. He's he's taking bumps and then just going to the side to stall for a bit which has got a place, but when you're used to maybe watching matches where Mankind or a Shawn Michaels or a Bret Hart, you, you kind of want something a bit better. But once it picked up, I, I thought it did actually get really solid. The the spots it was in there, really, the the pedigree onto the table, as you said earlier on, Mankind or Mick Foley bringing out the apron elbow again, the the crash onto the, the photographer on the outside, China shattering the the sector or mankind, some really good bits in it. Um, really decent match, just a, a bit too long, especially considering it's the the second time that the two of them's been out there. Um, there was also the nice pastiche to the the Vader in Germany spot with Foley and the ropes and the years kind of situation. I think it was more about the the end, though. I think the end of them, the end that just fit the both of them perfectly. It says it gives gives mankind the sympathy. Keith Helmsley the the ability just to go out there and be a bit of a prick because he already sees his cell as above the the people as it is, so sticking a crown on him's not gonna make that go away anytime quick. Um the biggest I don't know whether it's just because it went the best part of the twenty minutes. I've finally worked out who Hunter Helmsley reminds me, which I've been fucking struggling with for months. He's fucking gassed on. That is who Hunter Hurst Helmsley is, is gassed on out of beauty in the beast. Oh. Now, now the big boy that does the hunting and Beauty and the Beast he's got the fucking the was, was, was Gaston not over with his audience also? No Gaston was a prick nobody liked Gaston either I did but that's because I'm a prick really but, but did he get heat? Well he did get heat he tried to kill the beast Well that's true <laughs> just Which you could argue was mankind but, but that's yes. the one that Helmsley reminds me I didn't right. quite like Gaston, though. It may have just because I look a bit like his wee fat sidekick. So it may have been right. that. As long as China's not beauty. Well. Uh, Depends what you're into. I, <laughs> thanks, Del, for giving us that wonderful lead into anything. Just to drive us down that dead end and let me try and save it for everyone else. Um, they They tried to have a really, really good match. And in some ways, they did. Um... But I don't think anyone cared. Like, and they, they they started too late on, but it was like it's like going after that really hot girl, working really really hard. In the end, you just get a hello, you know that kind of thing. Like that, you know they were they were brawling around at ringside. They did the pedigree through the table. Mankind busted out. Yeah, Mankind was busting out all of his spots here, and like people were there was admiration, but there was no investment. I don't think. 
I can, you know, I talk about matches people don't want to see. I don't know that people are especially bothered about Mankind winning or losing, and I don't know they're especially bothered about Hunter Hershelly winning or losing either. Um, but that being said, like they work fucking hard, both of them did, um, and they put together a re- a really nice structured match with a really good finish. I, mean, I don't know that I'd have Mankind kicking out after all of that right before the finish. I don't know that I'd do that. I also think it's more effective. Even if there's a time delay, just have them finish anyway. It's more decisive. Um, but it just... It didn't quite work. Like, they've got a lot of work to do with both of these characters. They're clearly quite invested in both. And there's clearly going to be at least one more match between these two. Um, but yeah, like, they need to get... You know, that, that's the problem. Mankind isn't enough of a babyface to be able to get Hunter over as a heel, and Hunter's not over enough as a heel to be able to get Mankind over as a babyface. Like, nobody really wins in this exchange, really. Um, but mechanically, the match was good. Like, you know, my, my faults with it weren't that. It's just there was nobody really reacting to it. And it's like, well, why bother killing yourself if nobody cares? There's always that thought. Um, why are your thoughts on Hunter's prospects as a... As key of the ring, I know you kind of mentioned he was the right winner. I'm in complete agreement with that. I think out of the two of them, um, he was a far better shout for it. And you know, again, though, it, you know, it feels like they're really desperate to get this guy over. So now they're going to sit the king of the ring on him. A, a thing that you know, Brett's won it fine. Owen won it, and it didn't really lead him anywhere long term. Mabel won it; it didn't lead him anywhere. Austin's now over, but I don't think Aust- I don't think people. I don't know they're wearing the Austin three sixteen shirt, but I don't think people are thinking Austin's great because of the primary cut twelve months ago. This idea that King of the Ring is going to be a, a way of elevating Hunter, I don't think is a guarantee at all. No, as, as I said, you know, it was the right call not to have Mankind win it. I'm not saying it's the right call to have Hunter win it. I think, like I said at the start, you know, I, I personally felt that um, him winning it is is quite underwhelming. Uh, I think he's best of a bad bunch for, um, you know, for, for the upper mid-card uh, talent that they tend to have. Um, win this type of match and, and see what uh, see what can progress after that. Um, I think the fact that it's kind of come full circle if what you read in the Observer is true is, you know, last year he was meant to win it, didn't because of what happened at uh, MSG. Austin was then put in that role and now Vader was meant to win it. He was then injured and Hunter Sumsley slips in. So maybe there wasn't, you know, having having a view of, of, of trying to get him over, but the fact that Vader's now injured, they're scrapping around and thinking, right, who do we go with? And they've gone down that route with uh, with Hunter. It'd be interesting to see what you know how how this progresses with with the weeks, um, um, you know, with, with the next few weeks and uh, and seeing if they do, um, you know, book him in the right way or, or build him in the right way. But uh, at the minute, I'm you know I'm still firmly sitting in the seat of uh, you know not buying into it and, and being quite underwhelmed. Would Ahmed Johnson have been a better shout wide? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> I've seen you didn't ask me that, man. I would have got one when he did. Um, no, would I have a chance to be a better shout to win this? Certainly. Um, nah. <laughs> well, look at him. He's fucking. He does the fucking biggest fucking heel turn. And then he's. he's yeah, but, but he could he could have turned heel like with this. That was kind of my thought. Like, I know he's down um, with the nation. I know he's now injured, but I suppose. But um. Nah, not for me. Let, let him keep his Kuwaiti Cup crown. He can keep that. Right. I'm, I'm happy to give him that as long as it's not televised. Um, I think with the, the Helmsley 
point going back to what you were saying to Wayne, I think it's just... Speaking of things Vader can't win. Aye. Um, can, can I come back to Helmsley? I think it's... It's almost like when... See, like, what are we? Maybe about 12, 13 years ago, the Road Warriors were running wild, but Vince couldn't get the Road Warriors, so he made them a listen. He kind of, when he, can't, when he sees something that he likes, he kind of just copies it. That seems to be Vince's kind of trait, which he's not unsuccessful at. But what you get is then when the Road Warriors become available, he brings them in, it's the Legion of Doom, and he kicks them a listen to the curb. What I think he's seen with this is you'd Austin last year, who was gaining natural traction. They fucked the King of the Ring on him, and then post-match he cuts a promo and Granted, I think there's a bit of kind of rose-tinted specs looking back to last year, but it wasn't that that got him over. I think Vince thinks it is, because you look at Helmsley winning this tonight and then what he does the next night with the promo and the interview and talking about the, the politics, and it, it almost seems as if he's trying to copy what he thinks made Austin successful last year. But I think when there is just that, that obvious force on, on Helmsley I just don't know whether it's going to work because for what Austin is he's he's where he is because people have invested in him naturally and I just don't think they're going to do that with, with Hunter um, as much as I kind of like him and he gives you a wee bit of a flashback to late 70s Harley Race not the WWF one but the NWA champion Harley Race there is flashes to that there but Going long term, I just don't. I don't see people kind of picking up on him. He is certainly the best winner out of the out of the four that we've been presented. As much as I like Ahmed Johnson, and as much as Jerry Lawler is conceivably a king, Helmsley is the natural pick out of these out of these four. I just I just worry he's more on the Mabel side than the Austin side. But I could be wrong. I suppose if they follow the Steve Austin model, they'll do fuck all with him for four months and no, they'll have a great program with Sean. But he'll fight Bret Hart and then it'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, uh, that doesn't sound like the worst idea, actually. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. Um, you know, it's... Like, King of the Ring doesn't have enough equity to make a guy. I don't even think it has enough equity to really make a difference. Like, it, I don't think it's done anything for Austin, in all honesty. Like, you know, I, I say I know there were... It's not the Austin 360 shirts are available the next week. Like, you know, people since that wearing those for like six months. Um, you know, and it's just... It, it's it's one of those things people often talk about. You can, you can push a guy by giving him a belt. It's like, well, y- you can, but we've seen twice this year with two very similar examples with Rocky Maivere and Prince IUK in WCW. You can give a guy a championship, but if he's not booked well, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's like you can give a guy king of the ring. If the booking for the next three months is shit, it won't matter, much like it didn't matter for Austin. Austin got over essentially as a fresh character in the final third of 1996. It wasn't really right to king of the ring. It's not like he's walking around with a crown or anything like that. Um, as for the promo Hunter cuts me, yeah. Apparently he got clearance to say that that was part of the plan, which is interesting if nothing else. Um, but, but I don't know. It's all a bit all a bit strange. Anyway. Brett Hart walks out flanked by the Hart Foundation. Solid booze for him as he takes the mic. He says the time is coming for retribution. He issues the challenge for Canadian Stampede next month for five guys to take on the Hart Foundation. He does call it in your haste. Quite fitting for how quickly Brett was trying to wrap that up. Brett and Pell wants to join on commentary. The table is still ruined, so Brett takes Vince's headset. Earl Hebner and Joe Briscoe come out and see them off. 
Doc Hendricks is backstage with Steve Austin. Austin says he wants to keep Michaels around to help keep hold of the titles, but he's forced him to turn up the violence factor. Austin walks out towards Gorilla and there's a commotion going on with officials and the Hart Foundation. Pillman eyes Austin and wants a piece of him, but Austin ploughs onto the ring regardless. Hendricks catches up with Michaels. Michaels says the Hart Foundation want he and Austin to tear each other apart. He otherwise makes no sense. And next up, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Shawn Michaels. Michaels gets a tangibly larger pop than Austin coming out. Lots of females in attendance. Michaels and Austin mouth off of each other to begin with. A lot of stalling as they size each other up. Austin comes off the ropes and flattens Michaels with a shoulder tackle. He then sticks two fingers up at him. We finally start. Michael sits a quick arm drag, then floors Austin. He follows that by sticking two fingers up at Austin. That didn't get the reaction they were expecting, I think. Michaels attempts to help as a special Olympian away. That was strange. Apparently completely unplanned. Like one of the special Olympians sat ringside and ended up getting into the ringside area. So Michaels kind of just helped lead him away to the back. That was a little bit weird, but completely unplanned. Michaels comes off the ropes and Austin floors him with a back elbow and then mocks Michaels' pose. Michaels goes for a Thez press. Austin catches him, hits an atomic drop, then sends him flying over the top. Austin takes a breather on the R-way. He wants a test of strength and this match isn't going anywhere so far. Austin rallies out of the submission, then misses an elbow. He bounces off the ropes and sends a cameraman tumbling to the floor. Michaels locks in an arm lock and starts gobbing everywhere. Austin connects with a big Fez press and unloads on Michaels. That gets him some booze. We get an exchange of pins. Michaels bridges out of it, but Austin throws him over the top again. Michaels gets thrown into the guardrail and goes down. Austin pulls up the matting at ringside and throws Michaels into the ring sets while dropping him onto the concrete floor. Michaels goes for a clothesline. Austin ducks and Michaels goes right through the ropes to the floor. Michaels hits a small package but Austin kicks out. He gets up and floors Michaels with a crowd line, a clothesline. Sorry, the crowd is unsure. Austin puts in a rest hold and even puts his foot on the ropes. The rest stops it and Michael starts his comeback. Michael throws Austin over the top and there's big cheers for that. Michael skips up after a forearm and crashes shoulder first into the ring post. Austin exposes Michael's arse which gets a sizable female pop. Michael hits a crossbody. Austin rolls through it and gets a near fall. Ref bump. Austin shouts for a sweet chin music. Austin catches it, hits the stunner and there's no ref. Austin attempts to bring the ref around, then hits him with a stunner as well. Michaels hits a super kick. A ref storms out to the ring, runs right past the pin attempt, and goes to check on Tim White. This ref is about to get super kicks. Of course, he does. Michaels covers Austin. White makes the pin, but Austin kicks out. Ol Hebner comes out and then disqualifies them both. Austin grabs the tag titles. Vince, men, Vince says both men are losers which I thought was quite fitting. Each get hold of a tag tart and they have a standoff and then they argue with each other as they walk to the back. Del? I honestly thought this was brilliant, but see when you go back, it'd be quite hard to kind of describe what actually happened in the format. There was the bit with the wee boy at the start with Sean kind of ushering them out. There was the, the bit in the middle with Austin working the ropes. There was the ref bit at the end and then they squared off with the titles. That was kind of it, but I don't know what it was. It just worked for me. I don't know whether it was like the kind of lead in at the start with the the video package was really good. Then you hear an interview with them and the the reactions at the start of the bits with the Heart Foundation. And I, I think it might have been that. I mean, I don't know whether you take a note of this, but between bells, we um, 
Mankind and Helmsley into the start of this, it must have been the best part of 20 minutes between Bells for like the last match starting to this with the stuff with breaking it there. And I don't know whether they were struggling for time or what it was, but when the match got started, it just felt really, really special. And it wasn't the fastest worked match you're going to see, but when you get folk in a ring where the crowd's actually invested in them, whether it's Sean with the lassies or Austin with like the the redneck kind of drinking crowd, the, the bathroom have got their audiences and it just felt pretty special seeing them in there together. Plus you had in the story of all the two of them's the tag team champions but they're fighting each other and it, whether maybe being Brett, it wasn't Brett. I don't know, it just, there was something, something in the air I think with us for the kind of quarter and hour that it was on that it just felt really special to me. I thought it was brilliant. Why? Yeah, I'd, I'd say disagree with Dell once again. Um, you know, I, I, I thought these guys did put on something special. Um, maybe it was more special considering or compared to uh, what we've had to sit through um, the early parts of the night so far. Um, you know, I thought the you know the, these guys have got really really good chemistry between between the two of them. Um, you know there was there was rest in the match, but I don't I personally don't believe that it, you know it slowed the down, uh, slowed down the match at all. And um, you know there was the one the lengthy one with with Austin, but I think that was more to just put um, you know add, add the heel tactics on those and using the ropes etc. But I think they were just warranted rest where they was getting ready to pick the pace up again, um, like earlier on in the night. So. Um, yeah, I thought the you know the, the the match between between the two was uh, uh, was was well thought out, well well put on. Um, I personally believe that uh, I don't know what you guys thoughts are or, or what anybody else uh, who watched this match think, but uh, I personally believe that the the ref spot was well thought out. Um, you know, despite Vince McMahon branding them both as losers, I think that the double DQ actually you know makes both of them look strong. Um, and then, you know, it only adds fuel to the fire with uh, what, what was already a heated rivalry between the two. Um, you know, I thought it was uh, you know a really really good match between the two. Wait, was there a single person in attendance or watching at home that would have rather have seen this match versus Austin and Michaels against Owen and Bulldog? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe that was because they didn't want to see that six-man tag. I'd, I'd like to say that, you know, sitting here, I was wanting to watch these guys go at it in the singles. I don't know what your opinion is, but, you know... R- rather than Austin and Michaels in a tag team title defence? Yeah, I'd, 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 I was I was really looking forward to this match. Um, whether anybody else disagrees, I'm, I'm not sure. If if we were saying, let's have a tag match on between those two and, and uh, Owen and Bulldog, I think that would be more to watch Owen and Bulldog in, uh, in a better match than what they was in, rather than um, seeing these guys defend the titles. You know, for, for this match itself, I was, I was looking forward to this one. Would it have not at least given the crowd a very definitive side to cheer for and a very definitive side to boo? Because that was my biggest problem with this. I think the crowds had the definitive side to cheer for. You had the, the, the younger audience and the ladies cheering for, um, for Michaels and, uh, and what Dell branded as, as the redneck drinking crowd cheering no for, uh, well, no offense, obviously, cheering for, uh, for Austin. So I think the crowd had the definitive side. What, what it would have been is you would have had, 
um, you, you, you would have had the, the, the share of all the audience getting behind that tag team against the heel tag team of, uh, of the Hartford or, or Bulldog and Owen, should we say. Um, so maybe in that sense, yes, but, um, you know, to say that they didn't have the definitive side to cheer for, I, you know, I, I'd probably disagree. Dare I say an audience Dell knows a lot about. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't even think this match was that good. Like, uh, I think it was good. Let's be all right. It was just, you know, it was it was better than most of the stuff on this card. And it was one of the better matches of the year in terms of the the in ring action. But I, I just, I can't, can't really say how... that. You can, it's one of the better matches that we've seen so far in this company this year. Wasn't it that good though? Come on, well, I, I, I can't, there's not been that many great matches. I mean, what else we have? Brett Austin and Vader and Shamrock? Anything else? Spring to mind? Am I forgetting anything else? Um, what was the... Uh, oh, yeah, oh, and the four, man. Uh, the four way. That's true. Uh, those, those four. Right. But, you know, it, it, it wasn't as good as any of those three, I would argue. Um, but I just... You know, I didn't quite get it. Like, I, I don't understand this logic of, you know, we're trying to get Austin over this big baby face. Let's keep putting you in the ring, guys, that are more popular than he is. Like, that that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you know, I know Austin's meant to be this kind of anti-hero baby face who, you know, attacks baby face and heels and referees. And I've, I've got my own problems with that in the sense that I feel like they're going to get over Austin, but literally nobody else, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but it's a bit counterproductive, or it could be. Um, I just don't think anyone, you know, the, the match fizzled into nothing, and I don't think anyone cared because I don't think anyone thought it was going to end any differently. Like, you know, there wasn't this great disappointment. There wasn't this great, like, you know, there was a bit of a, you know, they they let the wind out of the audience when they did the the shitty double DQ finish. But I don't know that anyone was like, oh god, they denied. Let's see this. I don't know that anyone watched this match, saw the finish, went, shit, I need to see this again anytime soon. I just feel like we've been spending months and months trying to, you know, bridge a gap before Austin can get his hands on well, Bret Hart essentially, but also the, also the the, the foundation as a whole. Um, I know that's coming next month, which will solve a lot of those problems. I, I, die, you know, like to me, like once the once the match doesn't matter, this is just a series of moves. There's definitely an argument to it. I think yes. I think you've been a bit harsh, I'm going to be honest. Um, for me, it was, it's kind of like, how do you look at it? Do you look at it as, what's the payoff going to be here? Because ultimately, that's that's what wrestling is. It's what's the payoff, and then on to the next one. That's that's how it's been going for fucking start of the century, you know what I mean? But um, I think when you get two people like this, regardless of whether, I don't think... Especially in 1997, what we've seen so far with this company this year is when they've got their backs to the wall with WCW basically trouncing them every single week. We need to see something that's a bit different, which seems to always be my go-to word. But it is different seeing two tag team champions in the ring at the same time. As much as you don't have a clear black heart and a clear white heart, I think there's a lot of fun to be had when you throw in some grey which this kind of did. And when you get two people that can work a match like this, it doesn't always need to be about the finish for me. When you're getting a a King of the Ring pay-per-view, nobody's really betting the farm on the outcome of this show, as you can see with some of the, frankly, shite matches that we've seen. But I think when you get these two in here, it gives everybody... 
something to react to. Whether that's overwhelmingly positive or overwhelmingly negative, I think everybody enjoyed that seemingly apart for you because you're just miserable, Bob. But um, I don't know, man. It's not every day I can get to call somebody out for being crab, which is another word for you. But um, ah, you've just been fucking crab, Bob. I liked it. So did Wayne. Two yes. to one. Yeah, I, I believe we call it the Scott Hall end of year award rule. I was, I was going to say we, we we've seen before. Just because I'm outnumbered does not mean I'm wrong. Um, yeah, and yeah, like, it was it was a good match. It's just like like nobody gave a fuck. You know what I mean? Like they they were invested in the you know for a match to be great, it's got to matter, right? And it went to a double DQ, and no one gave a shit because there was nothing riding on the match. They just walked off. And we all forgot about it. To be fair, though, when they booked their cell into that spot, though, what was the alternative? Because you've kind of got two tag champions here that are... Could have done the tag match. I know it would have been a prize off what they did Raw a couple of weeks ago. That was pretty fucking good. I bet that would be good. But to be fair, the way I would look at that is you've kind of seen a semi-decent match between the six-man and then a really decent match with this one. I think if you throw the four... It's not even throwing the four in a minute. If you throw Shawn Michaels and Owen Hart in the same match... Look how fucking much of a slugfest and just an all-out boarfest for me the rest of the card would be. You can have had one saving that that tag in the middle and then you'd Sean and Austin going out here. I think if you throw them into the one match, that show would be even worse than it's been so far. Perhaps. Perhaps. Farouk says, history we made this evening. Undertaker, don't worry about Paul Bearer's blackmail. You worry about this blackmail. Doc is backstage with Undertaker and Paul Bearer. Hedrick says, everyone will always love Taker regardless. Bearer cuts him off. He says, Undertaker will follow his orders while he has that secret hanging over him. And we're on to the main event. It's Farouk with the Nation versus Undertaker with Paul Bearer for the WWF title. Farouk blindsides Taker while he's dealing with Bearer. Undertaker unleashes a series of quick strikes in the corner and then mows over Farouk. Undertaker walks the top and then instead of flinging himself towards Farouk, he actually flings himself to the conveniently grouped nation on the floor. That's quite good if a little convoluted. Undertaker walks the top rope a second time. This time he gets pulled off by one of the nation and crotched on the top rope. Top rope move is a top rope walk is a really high risk, low reward move. Farouk distracts the referee and Savio chokes out Undertaker. Farouk goes to hit Undertaker with the ring sets, but Taker kicks it back in his face. Farouk hits a dangerous looking pile drive, but both men go down. We go for a chin lock. Not clear whether Farouk is trying to send the Undertaker to sleep here or the fans. Undertaker counters the powerbomb with a backdrop, and the fans are really checked out. Farouk comes off to the top, but Undertaker hits a power slam. Barra gets in Taker's face. You've got to get up. You can't win this sitting on your butt. We get some infighting between Savio and Crush. Farouk body slams Taker and then tries to restore order. Undertaker sits up, stands up, hits the tombstone pile driver and wins. We'll come to the post-match angle in a sec. Way. Uh, I felt bad for this match. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't a three-star match, never mind a five-star match. But the fact that they had to follow um, what was before them um, you know, made it feel uh, a lot worse in my eyes. Um, it, you know, we, we, we've covered off uh, Farouk uh, a few times on this uh, on this show, and you know, I think coming back to his debut, you know, we said, you know, get rid of the, the stupid gladiator gimmick that you're doing. You know, he probably could be booked in the right way um, to go, you know, at the main event level. Um, but I think tonight actually showed that even though you can be booked strong, you know, the guy can't actually hang in a, in a lengthy match. Um, 
you know, there were spots where it was, you know, quite quite long uh, and laborious throughout, you know, quite boring. Um, you know, interesting dynamic with everything else that was going on outside of the ring, you know, Turker and Avera uh, and obviously the infighting with um, with the nation of domination as well. Um, and I think, you know, I would probably look more into that than the actual match because I don't think anyone was, uh, was actually invested in it altogether. Um, you know, there was some... There were some parts of it that I thought was all right, but as I said, you know, I, I just felt it was a lot. You know, the outlook of it was was a lot worse because they had to follow uh, Michaels and uh, Austin. No, aye, it was. Uh, it did end a bit damp. Let's be honest; it was a bit kind of washed out. This at the end, um, it was nice to see Undertaker showing talk how to no lose on a pile driver, which I thought was quite good. But um, it was more about the stories. This match, which is, it's not the best when you're not really invested in at least one of the the combatants. I don't think the crowd really cares too much about Farouk. Um, as has been said plenty of times before, I'm a great advocate of the nation. I think it's a very innovative gimmick for 1997. It feels very fresh. But when it just comes down to the match, and it's more about the stories, the match doesn't really matter that much. You kind of knew that Taker was probably going to win this. Um, and when you kind of go in with that that attitude, kind of almost contradictory, if what I said about Michael's Austin, you kind of knew that was going to end a bit sloppy. But with this one, when you knew Taker was winning, when the crowd isn't really invested in, in Farouk, it, it, didn't really, it didn't really come off. They didn't get a lot of time, to be fair, but I think time couldn't have saved this, really. Um, I think it would probably just have been a bit worse if they got more time, but um, a lot of time for the two guys in it. They had a shift that was it was more a match today with the story. Though, as I say, and it certainly came on to the the end of match angle. I think that was more the the focus than the match. Did I say? Yeah, um, you know, Farouk asked Vincent Man why uh, why he wasn't getting a a match with Undertaker next month. Suspect Vince could have gone well because the one you had this month was a bit shit. Um, that, that 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 could have been a way of, of answering the question. Um, yeah, you know, like I mean, Ron Simmons has has been a main eventer before. I haven't seen much of that run, but I don't remember him being that this bad. Um, maybe it was just because he was a a more typical babyface than this. But uh, you know, I, I, I talk about matches that. That, that mechanically don't really make sense. And this was another one, because Undertaker's biggest feud right now is with Paul Bearer, and Farouk's biggest feud right now is with the guys in the nation. And yet, this is the main event for the championship, and it almost feels like this has had very little to no build. Like the only build has really been Undertaker saying, well, you know, let, let me do a promo that's 80% about Paul Bearer, but I'll mention Farouk as well. Reminds me of the old... Uh, Flair feud with Ricky Steamboat a few years ago, going back to speaking of 1994, where um, Flair, this was right around the time where Hogan was about to come in, so Oakland would do an interview with uh, Flair, and Flair would answer five questions about Hogan, and then one about Steamboat, despite the fact he was facing Steamboat on pay-per-view a few weeks later. And this was kind of similar, Undertaker did all his prize up there, and I said, oh yeah, and I got this match with Farouk, only for the most important championship in wrestling. You know, all that kind of thing. Um, and so it was a match that people didn't really, another match I don't think people really wanted to see. And the other big problem was I don't think people bought Farouk as a credible challenger. 
and that's a massive problem for a match like this. If you know, I think that's part of the problem with the previous match was that the fans were like, well, you know, this ain't, this is going to end with some sort of shenanigans. I think with this match, it's a case of well, you know, Fruk ain't going to win this, and that's that's part of the problem. It didn't help the match was poor. That was the difference in this match and the Austin and Michaels match, but the the mechanics of the problem were largely the same. Was that this was two matches? You could argue three with with Helsley and Mankind. That people just weren't really there wasn't really a a particular investment one way or another. Now they like Undertaker and they're sure shit like the two guys in the previous match, but they don't if they're not if it doesn't matter who wins, then you're asking a lot for a crowd to be invested in the match. Um. And yeah, the match just wasn't very good. It is the long and short of it. And that is probably the answer for Rook's question. Why is Undertaker facing Vader next month? Vince should go, well, because I think it's going to be a better match. I don't think it will be half as shit as yours. Um, which would be one way of ending it. Anyway, we get to the post-match stuff. Savio runs straight into a chokeslam after the match. As does Crush. Vera wants Taker to chokeslam for Rook. Taker doesn't look happy, but does it anyway. Then Kinda says, uh, looks at Bearer and says, happy now. Bearer demands another, which he gets. Outruns Armour Johnson. He confronts Undertaker and tells him to get his head together. Taker takes a swing. Armour hits a Pearl River plunge. And that ends the show. Dale, I thought this was really good. They'd done surprisingly well with us. For me, I spoke a couple of months ago. I'd like to see fucking New Jack Mustafa in the nation, but I would like to see Ahmed in the nation. And I hadn't a clue how they would do it because it just, with the story that's been going on with Farouk and Johnson, how do you feasibly get the round peg into the square hole? But they kind of did it. Um, I didn't really know how they would do it. I didn't know if they ever would do it. But it's just a bit of a... It's another bit of a damn squib because we, we know what's happening now. Ahmed, so he's fucked and he... It kind of never went anywhere. And it's... It, it, when you get these kind of angles, it's... It's, it's kind of like the opposite of a match. The match is like angles leading into a payoff, and then how good the payoff is is how how much you like it. I mean, just look at Michaels and Austin for your point of view. It didn't mean anything, so it kind of pissed on the match a wee bit. With the angles, it's kind of the difference. You get the payoff, and then it's where does it go from there? And this kind of went nowhere, which kind of skews your opinion on it. But for what it was, and on the Sunday night, Kind of quarter to ten cent, uh, quarter to ten Eastern. It, it worked. Um, I didn't think they would be able to do it, and I think it would probably give this this fault hang a bit of, a bit of credence because the biggest fault that I had in the nation was crushing Savio. You're not a big fan of Savio as much as we've got our faults about Ahmed. He gives he a bit more credence to the full nation, and I think that would have made a bit more a bit more sense and then when you're talking about getting into a, a potential rematch situation and Farouk playing up the black card and this is how I'm not getting title shots and it just makes a lot more sense and then when you've got Ahmed Johnson backing you up dare I say if I ran into Ronnie Simmons at the back of your Kmart and Ahmed Johnson was with him I would probably run a bit faster than if he'd Savio and Crush with him so it, it makes sense for the two of them and Wolfie D and JC Ice well true I mean, they would they would cut me down with a microphone, but with the actual blade, I think I would take my chances with it too. But when you when you stripped it back to like Farouk and Ahmed, and I mean, I don't know much about D'Lo, but if he was still going to be there, I mean, that that had a lot more a lot more sensibility than what we've had with the nation. But 
That's it. Uh, and and Karma, the ultimate fighting machine. Let's not well, forget him. He can kick any man's ass, Bob. We know that. But I don't know. It's just... I think it's... If you'd have spoke to me on the Sunday night at 10 o'clock, I think I would have been a lot more positive about it than what I'm on now, to be fair. Why you thoughts on the post-match angle? Yeah, I thought this was great in all honesty. Um... Like I said, you know, just carrying on with uh, with the Taker and Burra storyline, um, getting him to do the short slams when he was unwilling to do it, um, you know, was uh, was further progressive on on that sense. And then Ahmed Johnson coming out, um, you know, for all the stuff that I've said about Ahmed in the past, I, you know, I thought he did quite well here. Um, you know, trying to get in, trying to get Undertaker to you know sort his head out, and and then obviously delivering the Pearl River plunge at the end. Um, but you know, the, at the start of this review, I was saying, you know, I'm glad that they didn't pull the trigger on Ahmed getting to win this tournament, and, and maybe they were seeing sense um, with with how he is. And then, I mean, now looking at it, thinking obviously this is before I, I, I knew about the injury. Um, you know, looking at it as though God, they're actually actually I pull the trigger on him, and he is going to be in the main event. With, with the Undertaker, um, I think you know the, the, the one point that I just want to add on on this one is if you if you didn't notice at the time, you know, please go back and watch it because uh, I, I'm sure this actually happened. But when he delivered the Pearl River plunge, the fact that he was waiting for the pin um, just says everything <laughs> that you need. This says everything we need to know about Adam Johnson's concentration. Yeah, it also says just how you deliver that move. I think to a point. Um, you, you do land in quite a natural pinning position. So yeah, think, but to, to wait there for, uh, for, 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 you know, even well, if it's a matter of seconds. For all he knew, Tim White could have still been coming round from the super kick. He got about 30 minutes. <laughs> True. Could have, could have done that. I, th- this, this ties into everything I said across this show. The reason this segment works, and I know technically at the time they're both baby faces, the reason this segment at the end works, other than the stuff with, with Bearer, was that, Ahmed versus Undertaker, I think, is a match people want to see. Whether they're both bad faces or not, I mean, obviously there won't be any more, even when Ahmed is back from injury. I think it's a match people want to see. And I also think that Ahmed is seen as a credible challenger. And for Rue Kidson. And that's why I think this worked. That's why they popped, and that's kind of why I got excited. I'm like, okay, I can see this going somewhere. And that's my point. Like, this wrestling is about creating credible, believable matchups between and matchups that people want to see. And I think that's my biggest problem with this show, as I probably, for the first time in a while, segue into the end of show review myself, is that this entire show was, a set, you know, was a, a series of matches that I don't think people really wanted to watch. You know, I mean, I'm sure you asked a lot of people, are you excited for Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin? They'd say yes. But I'm sure you said, would you, you know, would you rather see them teaming up or facing each other? I suspect a lot of them would say facing each other. I suppose some wouldn't. But I don't know that Austin versus Michaels is the, it was a match that people were desperate to see, particularly knowing that it wouldn't go to a finish. And that was the problem with most of this show. The guys tried hard, to a point. Um, the matches were, were good, but if the matches don't matter... That's a big problem. And that's a big problem with wrestling as a whole right now. We've got this, you know, two hours of Raw, two hours of Nitro. The three matches out there to fill time. Most of them have no consequence. People start ignoring them. And it means matches like the, the, the Flair six-man last month for WCW really stand out because they matter, because people care. But that surely is the idea on a... On a, on a monthly basis, you're trying to get people to pay for these shows. The way to get the people to pay 
isn't actually that complicated. Just give them matches that they want to see with consequence. And they didn't do that here. I think that's the biggest problem. So I'm going to give this show uh, a three and a half out of ten. Dale, what did you think? Um, I can definitely see your argument. I, I think the scores might be a bit harsh considering the the Austin Michaels match. I thought was really, really good. Even Helmsley Mankind over delivered for me. It was a bit lengthy, um, but some of the the other shit that was on this with like crushing, crushing gold dust. The the first couple just were really, really slow, and again there wasn't really a lot of investment in it. The tag match was pretty much saved by Owen. And then the main event kind of just ended on an angle more than a match. I think it was it was pretty middle of the road because when you take out the the Austin Michaels match, I would be way this is a, this is a two or a three. But um, sticking Austin Michaels in there, the final of the King of the Ring, I liked the afters of the King of the Ring, and then the afters of the main event. I'd say it just about weighs a four and a half. Why? I'm going to meet you in the middle. Um, you know, I thought we had one very, very good match. Um, you know, we had a really, really good ending, um, I thought. Um, we got further development to, you know, the Mankind character, um, progressive throughout. Um, but the rest was just felt like an episode of Raw. We had matches that were given far too much time. Uh, and for that reason, I'm giving it a four. Big fan of how we disagreed on most of the show between the three of us, and it all came about exactly the same school. <laughs> uh, there we are. We open up with Yellow D and Armour Johnson apparently teamed together against the nation. Savio and Crush leaving leader Farouk to take a Pearl River plunge for the loss. King Helmsley's now out to gloat. Somewhat surprisingly, he loses to last year's King of the Ring where he was quote-unquote politicked out of winning. He actually does really well on the mic. Mankind appears on the Tron and asks for a rematch. He lets China respond for him and she tells Mankind to kiss her ass. Foley arrives, but again gets crowned. We see the brief history of the European top before Davy defends against Goldust. That ends in a count out with Bulldog beating down the champion. Davy gets a chair as Marlena covers her man, but Shamrock arrives to square off with the Bulldog. The nation appears to be imploding as backstage Doc Hendricks gets chased from the locker room. In ring, Farouk fires Savio, Crush, and even Clarence Mason. D'Lo is the only man left standing with him as he builds the new nation. Furnace and LaFont take on the headbangers, but in the crowd we see Paulie Dangerously and Tommy Dreamer as the crowd start chanting ECW. After the headbangers win, we cut backstage with Lauren and Van Damme, who say they'll be out later. Austin starts our number two in ring with Vince. They look at last night's pinball footage before building to their match later. Vince asks him about next month's Canadian Stampede. Austin says he'll run through the lot of them. ECW's music hits as Van Damme makes his way out to the ring with uh, with the King and both need to split up from Dangerously and Dreamer. Mist and Monday Night and Flash Funk give us the hits as Lawler talks about his appearance in Philadelphia. Van Damme wins but Dangerously jumps the rail to have a go at Lawler. At least King didn't break his jaw this time. Both they and, Van, and Dreamer and Van Damme go at it as we cut to commercial. Owen gets a pretty decent match out of Sid as Shamrock joins him at the desk. Neidhart thinks better of going in after Sid wins and Shamrock stands with the winner. JR brings us the last Mankind interview segment and asks if he's brought his own problems to life. Mankind questions his journalistic integrity before laying Ross out with the mandible claw. Truly great segments these. After some really quite innovative, we get the Honky Tonk Man and Rockabilly 1997, ladies and gentlemen. 
Billy beats Bart as the crowd go mild. Austin arrives for the main event against Pillman but get take, gets taken out by the Hart Foundation. Mankind gets them away and takes Stone Cold's place. Pillman falls to the mandible claw but the Foundation beat him down before the bells are groggy Stone Cold and Ken Shamrock even the odds. They clear the ring but Austin stuns Shamrock and flips off Mankind. We move on to Raw on June the 16th with Vincent JR opening up about Bret and Sean's ongoing injury issues and saying we're going to have a tag team tournament. I'm messing there. Austin's out for a word with Vince. He says he's a lone wolf but Mankind interjects from the Tron to stake his claim. Vince and Austin then discuss Pillman but Shamrock arrives to square up to Stone Cold. We hear from Pillman in response to Austin before the Blackjacks take on Owen and Davey. Bradshaw falls to Bulldog as the Hearts progress to round two. We hear quickly from Bear as he cuts off Taker and Hunter Hearst Helmsley beats on Henry or Phineas. Phineas or Henry then arrive to berate his brother and Henry and Phineas both leave. Who cares? Farouk tells us he's going to add to the new nation tonight before Sonny and Paulie join us for a USWA versus ECW contest. Brian Christopher taking on Chris Candido. Both work heels, the crowd struggle but still a noticeable ECW Candido champ. Paulie still delivers on colour, dropping Lawless Son bomb before that Chris was Lawless Son before Van Dam, King, and Christopher work over Candido. Dreamer and Chair back them away. We see highlights from Saturday night's Skydome show before Anvil faces Goldust. Bulldog causing a distraction, but Nightheart still loses. Austin gets his shot at Pillman, Davy, Owen, and Anvil cuff to the post. Brett's at home. The two go hard at it. Pillman's nose gets bust. Breath bump. Brass knocks to Austin, but Owen picks the rest pocket for a key and it ends in a DQ. The Foundation free themselves, but Shamrock, Goldust and the LOD arrive. Shamrock and Austin go at it, but LOD split them up and Goldust talks sense into them. That's the team for next month. Sable tries her hardest to ring announce to the Fanatics going one-on-one. Tommy Rogers beating Bobby Fulton. Sable, pretty girl, but not an ounce of charisma. The headbangers go up against King and Van Damme, but after a dream of distraction, we get Sandman running and the headbangers reach round two. Main event times, we get Ahmed and Undertaker taking on Farouk's new nation. Carmen Mustafa's back, but no one else. Vincent JR speculate, Butch Reed, Curtis Hughes. We then get a copy of Flair vs. Sting tag match from last year where Ahmed doesn't tag in, but instead of turning in match, Carmen pins Taker clean, then Ahmed beats him down before officially joining Farouk. First of all, congratulations. Secondly, why did you do what you did? I mean, let, not withstanding the match with Ahmed Johnson, let's talk about the match you had with Mankind. Let's talk about the fact that you pedigreed him on our very announced table. From there, China struck that man in the back of the head with the scepter. You then brought Mankind into the ring, pedigreed him again, and then after that, you took that crown and drove it into the back of his skull. What's with that? You want to know what's with that? I'll tell you what's with that. That's a year ago. You know, and I know, this should have happened then. I should have been the king of the ring a year ago. But because of you and your politics, I never got my shot, did I? No, I didn't. Why? Because of your game. Because of your politics. What I did last night was take my destiny, my career, into my hands. Out of your hands because you couldn't get the job done. It's my turn. And nobody in the WWF, not Ahmed Johnson, not Mankind, not Shawn Michaels, not Stone Cold Steve Austin, 
Not even you, not even you, McMahon, is ever going to stand in my way again. This ring is now my house. Hunter Hurst Helmsley's backyard, my home. And any WWF superstar that wants to step in here, if you've got the guts, the door is wide open. Let's talk some television. So, as I kind of said earlier on, fuckloads going on. Um, if we discuss everything one week after another, I'll have a series of paper reviews. We'll be here, I'd say, all night. But as, uh, as we pointed out at the start of the show, and as Dell pointed out as we're going air, we only went on air at 10 a.m., still not even midday. We'd be here for a while. Um, so basically, we're going to pick through week by week different storyline arcs and we'll discuss kind of the full arc so we'll discuss some things ahead of time before we report them etc etc i think it's the cleanest way of reviewing all of this so we'll start week number three um and the, the topic we're going to look at for this bit is the uh the formation of the team that will take on the heart foundation at uh at canadian stampede so austin and pillman have this big long match Pillman gets a bit bloodied uh, and then after the match, Shamrock comes out and starts a fight with Austin. And then randomly from nowhere, the LOD come out and just break up Austin and Shamrock. Fuck knows why. Um, I, you know, I, I don't particularly see the logic in that. You know, they, again, we I talk about fights people want to see. I suspect people would quite like to see Ken Shamrock versus Steve Austin, but there we are. And then randomly, for no reason at all, out comes Goldust, as you do. Goldust grabs a mic, and, and he's the one cutting this impassioned promo that he really cares about. And Goldust basically says, "Let you know, oh look, there's five of us here. That's convenient. Like he wasn't the fifth guy out. Why don't we? Why don't we team up and and uh, and go on to the uh, Canadian Stampede show against the Hart Foundation?" Uh, and Austin grabs the mic and says, weirdly, Austin's like, well, I don't need you, but apparently, this, you know, Austin's got to accept the, the guy he's teaming up with, even though he doesn't want to. So he says, I don't need you, but it doesn't look like Gorilla Monsoon's going to let me fight them on my own. So yes, this time I accept, but don't pretend this is anything more than just a one-off. So I suppose that's fair. I suppose that's fair. Um, Dale, thoughts on any of that and just the kind of more general Heart Foundation, Austin, Michaels, anything that don't do with that this month? I mean, I think I'm, I'm personally merely a fan of your idea earlier when you're talking about the 5 one I think the easiest way to do that is just stick them out in a gauntlet. No, I mean, folk are going to see five Austin matches. Aye, it's in Canada, so it's going to be a bit of a weird transition when you're kind of used to seeing Austin in this ass-kicking persona and then he's probably going to get booed out of the building in a week or two's time for here but um, I think it just shows up how, how much a unit the, the Heart Foundation is and how much they're trying to kind of counteract it but not really succeeding when you're when you're relying on on Goldust being the the one to kind of talk sense into people it's I think folk are invested in Austin, folk are invested in Shamrock to an extent, there's still a bit of a bit of quality in the in the Legion of Doom. I, I'd have put Sid in there. It's it's certainly an argument. I mean, they definitely care about him, which I think is the biggest problem with these five getting getting put in together is they care about Sid. So that would that would add a bit more. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It's it's weird when you when you see something that's so clearly directed as it's Austin versus the Heart Foundation. Unless you're going to pull some rabbits out of the heart, I, I just don't. I don't really see the investment for 
what are we calling them, Team USA. I just I just think it's hard to kind of get behind them. I think it's just going to turn into a, an Austin Hart Foundation show. But, I mean, at least they try to explain. I mean, how long have we been moaning about the NWO and they've just standing up to them and then when they do, they just get cut off at the kneecaps and then on to the next one. So, I mean, at least they're trying to kind of make a, a stand up against the the kind of outlaw faction in the company. But um, how it works, we'll need, to, we'll need to wait and see. I think I'd take Austin Shamrock, the Steiners, and Luger over Austin Shamrock, LOD, and Goldust. If that's mm. the, that's any connection. Wayne, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, first things first. I'm like you, Bob. Um, I'd I'd love to see Austin versus uh, versus Shamrock. Uh, and to be honest with you, it's a shame that Shamrock isn't isn't a, um, a good talker um, because uh, I think he'd uh, uh, that I'd add more to, uh, to to what he was given. Um, just as, uh, as well to go with the in-ring performer of him just being an actual you know machine. Um, you know, we know his background from UFC, etc. So uh, so that the fact that Austin doesn't really give a shit about anybody just. Uh, you know, further, uh, uh, further, you know, coincides with, um, you know, with with his outlook of um, not wanting to do with anyone, Michaels or whoever. The fact that they made reference to um, him, um, I know that you pointed out before, but the fact that they made reference to Gorilla on soon probably making him team up with uh, with four other guys was was a nice touch as well because. As I said, the fact that he don't give a shit about anybody, why should he team up with uh, with people? And and he, he also Austin also made reference to um, the fact that he had to team up with Michaels for the tag team. You know, he would have preferred to go out there alone and and win those belts on his own. But you know, he was made to team up with someone. So uh, you know, nice little touches like that in uh, in the promo. I thought um, the team that he's going to have to be with is you know is is, is a little underwhelming. Um, Shamrock, yeah, I can I can go with that one. It's a shame about the stuff that's going on with Michaels because you know he could have been in that team as well. Um, like you said, maybe Sid could have been there uh, and potentially uh, a another as well. But you know the fact that we're potentially going to have to see no cell or D in uh, in there. Um, I can, I can, keep, keep trying, Wayne. I'm not sure that's <laughs> going to get over. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I could probably get behind that one a little bit because you know they the kind of feuding with with Bulldog and Owen, um, but uh, but Goldust is like just totally out there. Um, whether they're going to swap him with Mankind, I'm not sure because obviously from what we see from from Mankind over the next few weeks, he's wanting to to join that team or wanting to partner with uh, with, with Austin. Um, but Goldust is like just totally left field and. Um, he doesn't. He does not fit the bill with uh, with this team at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I talk about preferring Sid in that spot. Of course, Sid wasn't really available after after the accident that happened, and you're you're, you're now left with the conclusion that, that possibly they won't gold us because they had no other choice, uh, which is never a great sign, um, you know. But I think he'll be fine. Like you know, the the pro anti USA stuff is going to get over in Canada, and there's enough investment there and. You know, I think it's good that they've got Shamrock in there because, as I say, I talk about matchups. The only thing people really want to see is Austin against the Hart Foundation. At least if Shamrock's in there, there's a bit of mystery. You know, like what happens when Shamrock squares off against Brett? I mean, there's ten guys in the match. I don't necessarily know it'll last that long. Uh, without the without the option of uh, Michaels, without the option of Sid, without the option of Mankind, will be facing Hunter Helmsley. There's not that many faces left that could go in that spot. Which is probably why they did it, um, but it's not the not the best sign. 
let's say that. I mean, I, you know, I might have been inclined just to chuck Sabu in or something like that. You know, just go for a proper, proper out and out there wild card and just throw him in there. That could have been all kinds of chaos. But I understand why they didn't do that. But yeah, I think the the angles are all been developing well. I mean, it's difficult. You know, there's been kind of changing. Uh, changing parts of it all month long, obviously all the stuff with Michaels, and you know, we'll discuss that later on. But that, you know, Brett hasn't had so much to focus on because of Michaels not being there, and I suspect Michaels would have been in this match amongst anything else. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's gone about as well as they can. But I, I, I'm glad they're doing this match next month. I'm glad they're doing this match next month in that setting, in the sense that I talk about matches people want to see. They've been wanting to see Austin get his hands on the, the Hart Foundation in some kind of fair fight situation for about three months. Um, and it sounds like they're going to get that. And I think that's good. Like That's the thing. I talk about not giving people things they want to see. It means when you do it matters a bit more. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have picked Goldust, but I can't think of anyone else he would have put in there. Sid's injured. Michael's unavailable. And... Um, and, and mankind is is doing his own match, I and mean, that's the other thing. You go back, go back to July '96, and I think they did a international incident in uh, in Canada, and they stuck all of their talent in the main event, and the rest of the show was shit because they had no other matches. Um, they managed to do this. I mean, you might say you could have done, you know, Austin, Shamrock, and Undertaker, say. You know, Undertaker's got his own problems to deal with, but those three, but then you can't do Undertaker versus Vader, which is a problem in itself. So, yeah, I think it's about the best they could do. And honestly, I don't think it matters. It's the, the bit people want to see is Austin and a bit of Shamrock against the Hearts. They'll get that. The New Nation start off this week's show full of Black Panther berets. Vince asked Ahmed why. His response, ask yourself, white man. They seem to be all in on this as Dilo chips in to back him up and Carmen talks up his pinfall over Taker. As their music hits, Crush arrives on a Harley backed up by the now skinhead Ron and Don Harris who call themselves the DOA, the Disciples of Apocalypse. Both going into gang warfare complete with cops to split it up somewhere. Eric Bischoff's very, very happy. Rockabilly keeps his cooldown spot to follow hot angles but Dan Seven joins the desk as Billy's facing Shamrock quick win for Shamrock with a belly to belly into the ankle lock Shamrock and Seven then face off at ringside before they shake hands Vince and JR hype Sable and this month's magazine before the LOD beat the Godwins post-match the Heart Foundation take out the Road Warriors backstage Bearer again cuts off Taker before getting grabbed by the throat and then get another ECW match with Sabu taking on Flash Funk, complete with Fonzie at ringside and Paulie on commentary. Table spots, dies are plenty, and Sabu mildly avoiding suicide and indeed homicide. Before we run into hour number two, Mankind's campaigns have Austin picking with his tag partner goes on as he arrives mid-match with Bulldog with an Austin 316 shirt and a homemade Pick Me Steve sign. David Boy almost falls to the mandible claw, but a low blow later he chairs Mankind for the DQ. As Bulldog poses, Mankind gets back up and gets the claw in again. Backstage, Owen lobbies for Pillman to accompany him to ringside as Helmsley has China and Goldust has Marlena. Gorilla Monsoon agrees. We get a nice IC title video showing Pat Patterson, Rick Rude, Honky Tonk Man and match. Oh, no, there's no Randy Savage, just Ahmed Johnson. Triple Threat match gets a good amount of time. Patterson even referees. China gets in as Pat's blind, blinded for the Hurricane Runner on Goldust, but in all the chaos, Owen manages to retain. 
Brett joins Vince to build to the Canadian Stampede. He dismisses the LOD and says he and Anvil were the greatest as well as running down the rest. Brett then tells an in attendance Hitman Hearns there's only room for one Hitman. Hearns gets in the ring, body shots Anvil and it all gets a bit thunderlips. We get another Brian Christopher match, and this time he beats Scott Taylor, King cheerleading on comms. Main event, and it's Vader's and Taker's team to face the new nation. Barris dismisses his previous comments of remember the fire to Vince, but a miscommunication sees Undertaker nail Vader and the nation win. After Myrate, Barris says next week all will be revealed. Alright, gentlemen. One question for you, Ahmed Johnson. Why, Ahmed? Why? First of all, if Joe shut the hell up, I'm gonna come out there and kick your your ass. I'm gonna start out with you. Why? At your sniff, why, white man? You know why? I did what I had to do. I came out here, I bust my butt, I tried to please these people, I tried to get my shot the belt. You think they backed me up? You don't back me up for a belt? No. Don't back me up? The crew. My crew backed me up. Y'all didn't back me up. Why? Because I'm a black man. Did you back me up, Vince McMahon? When I came back from my injury, did you back me up for a shot at the belt? You were going to get your opportunity. I was, was. Yeah. Martin King was going to live another 10 years, but he didn't. He didn't because he tried to be nice and breathe peace, and he got shot down for trying to be nice. Is he going to Farrakhan? Is he dead? No. Why? Because he don't want to preach the peace. He preached like it is, by any means necessary. But I tell you what, you and your superhero, the Undertaker, I ain't got no respect for him no more. Any man that listens to another man is a low-down, dirty, slave dog. If the Undertaker will listen to Paul Bear, that man listen up it's for you. Like I said before, you put your hands on me, you won't be dead enough. Just remember the tattoo, because you will see it again. So move on to the start of week number four. Now, at the end of week number three... Uh, Ahmed Johnson joined the Nation of Domination alongside what has now been known as Karl Mustafa, involved in a clear out of the Nation that saw Crush and, and Savio get booted out. And Nuna and Clarence Mason and uh, PG-13, Wolfie, uh, Wolfie D and Jesse Ice. So leaving us with the, the, the new Nation of Domination, Farouk D'Lo, Karl Mustafa and Ahmed Johnson, which I would argue is a fairly significant upgrade over what they had before. Um... And then we, we come up to start the show and we get all the, the promos and Armour Johnson being the main focal point with just about everyone's motivations. And then out comes Crush and out comes, uh, well, I say out comes others. Out comes Crush alongside Brian Lee and the, uh, uh, the Harris brothers. What they'll be known as, we don't know. I mean, I, I, I like to think that Vince McMahon at ringside, if this was two years ago, might have gone, oh, and look, it's Kahuna Crush and the fake Undertaker and Jacob and Eli Blue on motorcycles. But thankfully, it's two years on. We uh, we don't need that. Um, they came out on motorbikes, and then they just, you know, Crush comes out and says, 
we're, we're the disciples of, disciples of Apocalypse, let's fight. And then they fight. And that was really good, I thought. And then we'll fast forward a week to what happens next week. Fabio Vega comes out, and he's formed a faction, which to me is like the most brilliant thing ever. Like, I just like the, 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 I, like, like, imagine being so shit at football, you were put on a team and you were the best player. Imagine being so shit at wrestling that you're in a stable led by Savio Vega. That's, that's where we're at. But I have to say, on this angle on the, on the 23rd show and on the, the angle on the 30th show as well, when you've got the nation, the DOA, and then Savio and his guys come out and they're all dressed in white, which really helps because you can see them. Uh, Dal, I have to begrudgingly say that I quite like this. I think we're all still kind of in shock that we just heard you say Savio Vega closely followed by this was brilliant. I think we're on a bit of shock at that, but it, it, it is, to be fair, it kind of makes sense. We, the nation are out there. The, the problem that we've had with the New World Order is that a faction, amongst other factions notably at the time, with the kind of Dungeon of Doom and the, the Horsemen, but it, it never really got to the point of faction versus faction. So you kind of had the end of your steamrolling everybody, really. This has the nation... To be fair, you've got the Heart Foundation as well, but they've kind of got their tongues tied with Austin and Michaels and et al. But um, having the nation where they've basically dismonished two of them, what's the the natural comeback to that? They two get kicked out of one group, well, fuck all y'all, we'll get another group and we'll come back and kind of kick your ass. And it made sense. And when you see the... The image of like the DOA coming out with the bikes and that, coming out with the choppers and can right run ringside, it looked cool. And then you get just like the little things. I mean, it's looking back to fucking Roddy Piper and Goldust again where you see Piper out there with, with street clothes because it's a street fight. It's the little things that make sense. And when you see the, the cops coming in at the end to split it all up, it just, it's kind of cool because like, can you imagine somebody turning this on and they've not watched wrestling for like, I don't know, they watched off, they watched um, Andre and Hogan, what, 10 years ago? And then you turn it on 10 years later and you're getting hurt right round the face with this. It just looks different and it looks cool. And um, as much as we've got our gripes about Crush and Savio and any any time where you're going to shove the Harris boys in there and then you've got another kind of faction coming up, and you've got Farouk standing there with Ahmed Johnson, it's like shit's going to go down here. And um, I thought they really nailed it, considering the, how often do we talk about the the value of something being greater than the sum of its parts? And I think there's there's very few examples that can nail it more than this. When you're talking about Brian Lee and people of that kind of ilk being in the ring and actually getting a bit of crowd investment and I was getting a bit excited about it. You must be doing something, right? Right. Yeah. Again, hard to hard to disagree. Um, you know, I think we'd all agree that if uh, if it was but right, the the nation of domination, you know, could have been a force. Um, but with Savio Vega and Crush in there, um, you could say, well, man, the pun that it was DOA. Um, you know, you're not going to believe in uh, in Savio Vega and Crush as as the lackeys for. Oh, 
you know, as uh, uh, as part forces with uh, with, with the route there. So uh, it was a change that needed to happen. Um, you know, I, I personally hope that we don't see um, a karma from the million dollar corporation. Um, because if we if we do, then are we not just replacing like for like? Because when he was in that faction and he was going against the Undertaker. Again, you know, we couldn't get behind um, that at all. And maybe that was because um, Million Dollar Corporation just lost all the time. Maybe that was the reason why. But uh, the fact that we've got Ahmed Johnson in there now as well, you know, like uh, Lara says, you know, this is something that could be, uh, that you know, that could be done quite well. You know, I personally would like to believe that um, they put Ahmed Johnson in there um, so they can hide his flaws and not because he's the nearest black man. But... With the interviews that were uh, that that we see happen over the course of the next few weeks, especially when Ahmed Johnson gets injured and Farouk's on the mic, I think it's obviously they wanted an all-black faction. But uh, you know, DOA coming in um, and 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 they've got their faction, and then we've got Savio Vega leading his faction. Obviously, you know, we're, we're approaching July now, so it'll be interesting to see what they can bring to the table because that was only the last episode of uh, of, of June that we got to saw um, them guys. But uh, yeah, I thought the opening of uh, of Raw, which was the fourth Raw of uh, of the month, was like Dell says. Someone turns over and watches that. You know, it's like a snippet from from the film The Warriors, the the, the 70s film. You know, gangs going after each other, um, and you know, for people that was watching wrestling, like Dell said, 10 years ago, and now they're watching it here. You know, this is something that they'd, they'd be like, all oh, right, okay, well, let, let's see what, uh, what what wrestling's about these days. Wrestling doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't, you know, it's great if you can string together a real nuanced story. Fantastic. But, like, you know, I think a lot of times wrestling tries really, really hard to try and, you know, I'm not saying outsmart the audience, but keep them guessing sometimes at the detriment of the actual story and it's like this was there was no nuance to this at all like they just booted the two guys out of the group and then the next week they just completely repackaged crush alongside three you know what we should say are returning guys essentially um all look quite similar all quite tall all quite similar build come out on motorcycles they get in the ring and crush just says yeah we're here to fight I don't think any group of wrestling fans is ever not going to cheer that. You've got a group that, you know, the nation of domination is not that much strength in them. Well, I think certainly they're stronger now than they were a few weeks ago. But you've got a group that's been around for a while that's never really got what's coming to them. And they, yeah, they haven't had a, an NWO-type dominance run, but equally they've never really had that big kind of payoff or anything like that. And Crush comes out, and even if you don't like Crush, as, as, as I don't particularly do, if you've been following along, you see the guy get kicked out, and the guy turns up with his own guys. That's not a difficult story to understand. You don't even need to be invested in the previous story to understand it and to get invested in this one. And Crush comes out, and they all slip in the ring, and he's like, yeah, we're here to fight. And then they start fighting. The crowd's never not going to pop for that. Yeah, that's never not going to happen. And then the next week, we kind of get the same thing. And then out comes Savio, you know, the White Warriors, alongside the rest of his guys. And they get in the ring. And the camera just pop pans back. And you just got the ring full of about 15 people beating fuck out of each other. That's never not going to be entertaining. But there's no real skill involved. It's not really great storytelling. It's simple storytelling. Um, but I think that's partly why I liked it. I think, Dale, you're right. The, you know, the, the, the constituent parts of everyone in this this 12 men 
there's not really one wrestler you'd want to build your house around. You know what I mean? Like, Ahmed Johnson's quite good, but he's got his limitations. Farouk's a former WCW champion, but as, I don't think this has worked particularly well. Don't know much about D'Lo Brown. Carl Mustafa's not much of anything. You know, we've seen Brian Lee on his own ECW. He's okay. The Harris brothers aren't much. Cross isn't much. God knows what I think about Savio Vega. I don't even know the three guys that he's with. There's nothing there. But yet you just say, well, this is Team A and these are their colours. You know, forgive that expression, but to a point that's true. You've got the Nation, you've got your Los Bariquas, these guys in white. That makes sense. Or that's at least different. You've got these teams and these are how you identify them. This is their badge and you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, this is easy to get behind. And for the first time ever, I'm somewhat looking forward to something that involves Savio Vega. And that might be the most remarkable thing we said about the WWF this year. In that they come up with something that's not particularly complicated, involving guys we don't particularly care about. And yet it's so simple. It's like, I want to see more of this. You know, I want to see, you know, wrestling's just about watching people beat each other up in circumstances that are simple to follow and easy to be invested in. We see stuff like some of the stuff they've done this month where I feel like they just, you know, they tried to, you know, kind of go right around the houses rather than just walk straight down the middle. This is that. Uh, it's fun to watch. And I'm I'm interested in the Safia Vega storyline, which is a harrowing thought in itself. Um, the other thing to, to, to cover from show number four is the angle involving two hitmen, uh, Bret Hart, <laughs> hitman number one, and uh, the boxer, Thomas Hitman Hearns, who was sat in uh, in attendance during the show. So they call Brett out for a promo. Brett does his, I'll call it admin, basically, because he didn't appear on the previous week. So, you know, he couldn't, couldn't say anything about Michaels because they were trying to keep Michaels in their good books. So, you know, they, they, they do their admin ahead of Canadian Stampede, etc., etc. Brett, you know, understands who he's facing now. And they turn their attention to Thomas Hitman Hearns, who's sat in the front row. Um... You know, and, and, and Brett gets in, you know, the sickest of burns when it comes to saying that, I don't think you're Hitman, I think you're Chicken Man. It's like, okay, that was, uh, that stung. Well done, Brett. Um, and so, you know, he calls out Hitman Hearns, who gets in the ring, they square off and they shout to fight. Anvil's stuck in the middle and then, like, Hitman kind of turns, gets a bit bored, just unloads this flood, like this, it was only after about two seconds, this flurry of punch on Anvil that sparks him out, and then they get everyone involved, they dive in, and everyone splits them apart, etc, etc. Wayne, uh, you know, I talk about simple angles, I get a hometown guy that's very, very popular, very, very well known, and very, very credible, stick him opposite a guy that happens to share his nickname, which helps, in, in a ring that the fans don't like, and just having beat someone up, it's very, very simple, but that was a really good segment. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, it's, uh, simplicity is uh, is the best thing about it, really. It's, uh, like you said, with the, with the previous uh, segment, with obviously Nation Domination and everyone like that, just guys going out and, and, and fighting. Um, and, you know, that's kind of what we get with this. Like you said, you know, we've got we've got the guy who's the hometown hero. Um, he's, he's got a reason to, to get in there and, and go after Brett with the uh, with, with the similarities to the name. Uh, and going in there and, and, you know, just giving what fought to Anvil fought. You know, that was... Uh, um, no, that was a bit cloudy. Uh, that that bit with uh, with Anvil, with the, you know, with with the way that they talk they talk up Anvil and, and and things like that, and then he's just taken down. But that's probably more about Thomas Hearns. I don't particularly know that much about Thomas Hearns, so he could you know he's got the Hitman name for a reason. Um, 
but uh, you know, I'm, 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 you know, whether he can text someone down as big as Amble with with a couple of flurries or uh, punches like that, yeah, I find it hard to believe. But that's not to say that he, uh, you know, he's not got that reputation to do so. So that was the only thing for me. But apart from that, no, it was, uh, you know, it was it was a pretty good segment. No, I think it kind of showed up. Brett for me was my only kind of. Great work because the, the biggest thing is, as soon as Brett started saying about there's only one hitman, I'm the hitman and you're the. It just made me flash back to Austin and like you put the, the letter S in front of hitman and you get my exact feelings on Brett Hart. It kind of just shows how much Austin's got his finger in the pulse if what 1997 means. I, I don't know that Austin's lie was all that clever. I mean, it was significantly better than calling him Chicken well, Man. when you but... compare it to this, aye, it kind of makes Austin look like a, look like a headline writer. But um, I think it just shows how how Brett can kind of be behind the curve a wee bit when he's, he's, he's undoubtedly still trying to find his feet with this full anti-American villain kind of situation that he's found he's selling but um, I think it was quite worryingly it was actually saved by Tom Hearns he, um, if it wasn't for Hitman Hearns coming out I think this could have died a bit of a death this because where was as we seemingly say every every month where was Brett going with the promo and um, I think it really saved it I mean they, they, they just have this knack for kind of bringing in these bringing in these outsiders into the sport that kind of work. I mean, even going back to like Bam Bam and, and LT, that bit at the Royal Rumble really worked. And aye, Bam Bam laid it in and Taylor had a bit of a great with how rough it was and things like that. But um, they kind of nailed it with us. And even the bits with Anvil, Anvil is kind of the... I don't want to be harsh, but he is kind of the puts of the the Heart Foundation and it, it made sense for it to be him that was in there and it gets the hometown hero over, it gets it gets Brett, he's come up to an extent but with it blowing off a, a payoff because it's only on TV I thought they really did they really did quite well with it considering Yeah um, you know I, I think we've, I think as Rory said before like Brett only seems natural as a heel these days if he's talking about Shawn Michaels because I don't think Brett's trying to channel anything when he's talking about Shawn Michaels. I think he's just talking about Shawn Michaels. Everything else does feel like a bit of an effort where Brett's promos are concerned. Um, and, you know, he Vincent Mann isn't mean Gene Oakland either, which doesn't help. Um, you know, I mean, Brett's, a, Brett's a, a seasoned promo these days. But, you know, like, Brett alongside Oakland, I have no concerns because Oakland could could steer him through where he needed steering. I mean, let's not give Austin all the credit in the world either. And Austin said this month, you know, the only thing I wished about that segment where I, I put Brian Pillman's head through the toilet was that the stuff in the toilet well wasn't well, you know where I'm going. <laughs> that was, you know, Austin didn't want to say the word shit, didn't he want to say the word poo. Like, you know, so I don't know where that was going. So let's not give Austin all the credit in the world either. Um, but yeah, I think Jim Ross kind of said it best. Like, you know, it's like, this is our sports centre moment. It's like, yeah, like, you, know, you, don't, you don't often say it so obtusely as uh, obviously as that, but yeah, that was the purpose. We've got Tom Hitman Hearns, he's willing to do a segment with, with Brett. Um, you know, they Anvil was the perfect fodder. Um, big crowd pop, very memorable segment. Um, you know, it's rare they get things exactly right. Um, and yeah, like Brett, Brett was almost the forgotten man in this to a point. Like, you know, they can't really have the two square off because, you know, 
you're, you're an easy man to, to lose out in that situation. But otherwise, two big thumbs up. Very well done segment. Um, and yeah, like, you know, just, it, it's like, don't call him Chicken Man. It, like, don't, don't call him anything if Chicken Man's the best insult you've got. You know, that would be my, uh, my problem with all that. Anyway, let's move on to the final show of the month. The Undertaker and Kane would run around the funeral home like wild men. They had free reign of the property. They'd sneak out behind the garage. I see what they were doing. Their mom and daddy didn't see what they were doing, but I saw what they were doing. I saw them taking chemicals out of the bombing room of the funeral home. I saw them sneaking behind the garage, smoking cigarettes when they were little kids. But you know, one particular afternoon, I was leaving to go to school. As I backed my car out of the funeral home, I looked behind, and who do I see? That red-haired devil seed undertaker with his little brother. Something was funny. It, it, something didn't seem right. But I went ahead and backed out of the driveway and went to school. I came back from school about 10 o'clock that night. And what do I see? I see fire trucks. I see ambulance. I see steam and smoke. And I see the funeral home in ashes. Someone burned down the funeral home. Inside the funeral home was this lovely family that took care of me. I looked over to the bushes. Who did I see in the bushes? But the Undertaker! Undertaker! You burnt the funeral home to the ground! And along with the funeral home, you killed your parents! You killed your family, Undertaker! I know it! I've had this secret on my inside all my life. 20 years. You killed him. Undertaker, you are a murderer. You are a murderer, Undertaker. You're a goddamn murderer. get a big recap of Paul Bear and Undertaker's secret history to start. Ken Shamrock goes out with new music to face King of the Ring, Hunter Helmsley. They get a fair bit of time with some ringside brawling, but Mankind Distraction gives Shamrock the pinfall victory before Helmsley flees. Another video package, we see the Nation DOA rivalry before begin an interview from the now injured Ahmed Johnson. Then Sonny fornicates with a million dollars for an upcoming giveaway. Farouk and, take, uh, Farouk and D'Lo take on the LOD, but the Goldwings give Hawk the bucket for a nation win. Yes, Hawk was up before Farouk. Post-match, Farouk asks Vince why a white man's replaced an injured Ahmed Johnson for a title shot. They're interrupted by the latest gang from South America, known as Los Bariquas. Spearheaded by... 
Savio Vega. Ivan Pupski's gun. Scott is out looking like an Ico Pro commercial to face Brian Christopher. King coming in for the attack after Christopher sneaks a win. We then cut backstage here from Undertaker and if there are any doubts about the ECW and WWF being on the same page, footage airs of Steve Mania to promote the new Stone Cold home video. Our once main event gives us Pillman vs. Mankind compete with Pillman quote-unquote apologising for his comments on Shotgun Saturday night. Mankind gives Jower a present for choking him out two weeks ago, a model of Mankind's hand in the mandible claw position. Pillman bites Mankind's ear, Mankind wraps Pillman's ankle around the post and helms in trying to run in, gives Pillman a count-out win. Paul Bear is out to regale us with a tale of Undertaker, his upbringing and a fire. The funeral home on the hill surrounded by flames and fire trucks, started by none other than The Undertaker. A mother, a father and a brother, Bearer calls Taker a goddamn murderer. It's Sable's shot to flirt with a million dollar chance as Mero tries to cover her. The headbangers take on Owen and Bulldog but it's a no contest after an interruption from James D. Cornette's latest clients who look like Abdullah the Butcher's offspring. Taker gives his response to Bearer. He says there's truth but it wasn't him, it was his younger brother Kane who caused the fire. He tells of how Bearer took him to see the bodies and easily cuts the promo of his life. Vader gives a beating to Rockabilly, but Undertaker comes out to get him, and we then uh, to get Bearer, and we then get the revelation: Kane is alive. Main event time: It's Anvil versus Austin. Midway through, we see the Hart Foundation working through the rest of Austin's tag team. Brett takes out Shamrock, arrives at ringside to figure four Austin round the ring post. Mankind tries to save him, but the rest of the Foundation arrive to end for the month. And after he punished me. He sent me on my way to do my daily chores. And as I was leaving the funeral home, I looked back and I seen Kane leaving out one of the rear doors of the embalming room. And I seen that he had those liquids in his hand. You know, it never occurred to me what he was going to do. I thought nothing of it. And I live with that fact every day of my life. Cain was my responsibility. He was my little brother. As I returned to the funeral home from doing my chores, I could hear the sirens. I could see the smoke filling the sky. Without knowing, I knew. I knew what had happened. And I ran. And I ran as fast as I could. When I got to the funeral home, it was engulfed in flames. I never slowed down for one second. I ran right for the front door. That's when they grabbed me. They wouldn't let me go in. The firefighters, they held me back. And as I stood there, restrained, I watched the funeral home. And inside that funeral home was my mother, 
my father and little Cain. I watched that funeral home burn down to the ground. And yes, Paul, it's true. I wasn't at the funeral. But you didn't care to explain to the people why that was. That two nights before, during the middle of the night, you drug me to the neighboring funeral home so that I could see my family. Till this very day, the image of my mother laying on that table As you pulled that sheet back and I look at the burnt and charred body of the most wonderful woman that had ever walked on this earth, laid there, the air escaped from my lungs. I couldn't breathe. I thought I was going to be sick. But you insisted. You insisted that this small boy in the middle of the night go and look at the charred remains of what two days earlier was his family. And there is only one place to finish. Uh, the uh, well, We've got the Austin and, uh, and Brett stuff to cover. Um, but the one place to finish on television is the story that's been brewing for about five to six weeks now. It's Undertaker's secret storyline. Um, which, you know, kind of came to a head on the final show of the month where after weeks of teasing it, Barra basically said the week before, I'm going to tell everyone. So uh, we get basically four segments across the second half of the show. Essentially, Undertaker gets his first word in and basically says, you're going to hear what you're going to hear, but know when you hear it that it's not the full story. Barra comes out and tells this big, long, elaborate story about how he used to work as a you know, mortician, etc. And he was an apprentice alongside you know, the Untaker's father's workshop, essentially. And how there were two boys running around. One guy called Undertaker and the other guy apparently named Kane. Um, and so they, you know, Barra told this story about how, you know, Undertaker and Kane used to play with the, the fluids and the you know, stuff they used in, in the in the mortuary process and how, you know, they used to smoke it and all this kind of stuff. And uh, one day when he got back, he found the place on fire, I think was essentially the storyline. Um, and essentially, the only Undertaker end up killing is, uh, you know, because uh, Un Barra put Undertaker in charge of Kane and Undertaker says he, he, he let Kane loose with whatever. Um, you know, not only did Undertaker was responsible for the murder of his two parents, but also responsible for the murder of his brother. So Undertaker cuts this big, long-winded promo that he cuts, saying, you know, this is what happened, this is why it happened, etc. reason I wasn't at the funeral because of this. You'll have heard some of it, and you can read the rest. I don't want to recap everything. And the bearer comes out about 20 minutes later and says, you know how I know all this? It's because Cain told me. Cain is alive. And, Wayne, I, I, you know, we'll see what happens with the ratings. I get the impression that, that, that people weren't, 
you know, the, the reaction of a lot of people was a bit kind of up and down on the segment. My biggest thought on it all really was, fuck, they rushed through a lot in about 40 minutes. I felt like they rushed through about three weeks of the storyline. And I mean, you know, the, the bit where Bearer says, Kane is alive, Kane is alive, nobody really reacted to at all. Um, Wayne, what do you think about all of this? Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree with that end point. I mean, just to make reference to the, the rest of the Raws, um, I think there's been a lot that has that has gone on with uh, with other storylines, etc. But I'd probably say that this has been, um, de- you know, the most compelling to, to watch in, uh, in in my eyes. Um, leading up to it, have, you know, there's been some some great point. You know, the the, the storyline out between um, Burr and Taker, where he's making him, he's kind of like bribing him in a way. Um, to, to keep Burr quiet um, has, has, has been really, really, uh, you know, really, really good to watch. Then you flash forward to that that final episode, and for uh, you know for it to all have just come out in the wash over, like you said, over four segments within that last episode, probably was a little bit rushed. And um, you know whether they've got plans after this, I'm, I'm not sure. But I think if they would have made, you know, we only found out about. Um, Three graves, um, and then he was like, "Okay, so there's, there's, you know, what, 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 what we're detailing here." And then we found out about the house fire. Um, I think we could have stretched it out a little bit longer with with this brother being alive. Um, I think we could have delved a little bit deeper into the relationship with his brother, still assuming that uh, along with his parents, he, he also died in the fire. I think that could have been stretched out, and that probably would have led to a bigger reaction um, with, um, with with, with Burra revealing that he was still alive. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with that one. But I think all all in all, this is, uh, has, uh, has been a really good month for this storyline. Del, not that... WCW tell this kind of story, not the WCW to a point have this kind of character. But if if I was tasking WCW to tell a story like this, with the the basic structure, the mystery, the the big chapter points, I feel like they'd have gone right. We've got you know in the space of that half an hour, there were essentially you know there would. Two big talking points, but there were three, and perhaps with perhaps another piece of bill that there were four. You know, the two big points were one, Taker inadvertently murdered his brother along with his parents, and then two, his brother is actually still alive. And there was Taker's retort in there as well, and there was also the build-up too. I feel like if you'd have tasked WCW with telling that storyline, they would have dragged those four segments that played out across about a 40-minute period on Raw, and they'd dragged that 40-minute period and they'd have put it over about four weeks. And each week that would have been a, a focal point. And don't get it wrong, he would have been a bit convoluted, I don't doubt that. You know, they would have they would have ended up hyping the next chapter. They're not talking about what's Bearer gonna say this week, which may have been convoluted in its own right. But they would have milked that for everything that it was worth, and they'd have had you know, much like they did six months ago when Roddy Piper was feeling with Hogan, they'd have been talking about what's Bearer gonna say this week on every single match and segment much to the detriment and much to the weakness of that but the the big conclusion we came to with WCW's treatment of Hogan and Piper was that as much of that six seven week period in November and December where that was all they seemed to talk about when you got to Starcade fuck me did they care about that I didn't really care about anything else but that wasn't really the point and I feel like WCW here would have gone right okay we've got this big announcement or this big kind of story point with Bearer announcing that there was a third grave. 
And I think they'd have gone, right, that's one big week done. And then it comes to the next week and they're like, right, Undertaker's going to turn up at some point and he's going to have his response. They'd have talked about it throughout the entire show. And they'd have brought in, they'd have introduced the word Kane probably in the previous week as well. And they'd have built up around that and around that. And then I feel like by the time you got to Bear a second promo where Undertaker came out and confronted him, when, when Bear would have said, Kane is alive, people would have gone, shit, I now know who Kane is. Let's react to that like the big plot point it is. Now, there's weaknesses to that approach. But now I feel like if, if the job here was to create the biggest amount of suspense, intrigue, mystery and reaction, the WCW approach to the storyline would have been significantly stronger than the slightly rushed version that I think they came up with. I think you would have more... I think you would have more strength to your argument if it wasn't for the fact that WCW this month introduced Kurt Hennig and they gave him about four seconds of TV time. I think would probably have a stronger argument, but I do definitely see where you're coming from. Um, going back to pretty much the inception in Nitro and then definitely when it went to two hours, I think, I think WCW has had a stronger storytelling weekly episodic kind of I'd imagine with the with the outsiders invasion storyline. Yeah. If they'd have done that in a thirty minute period two weeks before Bash at the Beach. Well you're basically that's what you're basically seeing here with Taker and Bearer for they've kind of been hinting at it. It was the it was the kind of mean gene hooks on the hotline or there's apparently a couple of guys maybe coming in that you might have seen before phone me and pay fucking ninety three dollars fifty to find out the answer that you could read in the torch for like four or five bucks. But what you kind of got with that is it then built on after that because it gave everybody a reason to come back. That's kind of what they've missed here when they've been telling the, the take a better stuff where there's it's just been this illusion at a at a secret, and it's well, what is the secret? And the way that you get people invested in that is you kind of give them kind of nuggets of information, and to an extent, trust your audience to piece together the jigsaw. And they kind of they kind of were doing that to an extent, but they were giving you maybe like four or five bits of the jigsaw, and then you just kind of get the bag of the other ninety four, ninety five bits put in your table in like twenty minutes here. And I mean the, I mean it's not. A, we were talking earlier on about the, the secrets of pro wrestling is that it were that hard. You get two cunts in a ring that you want to watch fight and then you want a, a notable outcome that means something. Storytelling isn't any, isn't any more convoluted. I mean, you just, you, you basically craft a story and you give the audience something that they can invest in and try and help them piece together the information. And I mean, the, the art to tell in it in a way that gets people invested is you give them a bit of information, but you know that the characters in the story know more than you do. And then once it gets to the midway point when you're getting into Acts 2 and 3, you actually give the audience all the pieces that they need, but they just don't know how to put them together. And then when they're finally put together at the end, it makes sense, and you get a reaction, and you build it. And then it's, oh, what's going to happen next week? I can't. I might just set the video for Nitro, because I don't want to miss what's happening in Raw. And that could be a big turning point for the WWF because you want to get people... I mean, there's, there's undoubtedly folk out there that just watch WCW and there's folk that just watch WWF, but there's a big bit of people in the middle that probably watch both. And it's getting the ones that prioritise Turner to prioritise New York. And you want to get them to be watching that first and then, oh, I'll catch up in Nitro 
I don't know, I'm finished early on Friday, I'll watch it then. And you want to make sure that people are invested in it. And I think they did do really well. Um, I mean, you're, you're a big fan of kind of watching the, the kind of big guy slugging it out and getting the right kind of snug fights and big heavyweights where I'm actually, you want to see I'm more the kind of storytelling side of it. I, I just, ever since I was a child, I always liked a good story. And um, I think they, I think they've done this really well. I think it's just they maybe they maybe just blew it a bit quick, kind of flying through it. When what's essentially a mini movie, the June thirtieth Raw, where it's like you start off with the video package, you get Taker setting the setting the scene, saying this is going to happen. You might not like it, but trust me because I'm the man you like. Bearer comes out as he's soliloquy in the middle, and then you get the climax of the Kane's alive, Kane's alive at the end. Um, I think it's just a case when you're second place in the ratings, you kind of need to throw it out there because you can't really take the time to invest over what would naturally be maybe five, six weeks when you're kind of playing second fiddle because this is maybe going to grab some attention that that other people wouldn't normally kind of pick up on because they would just watch Nitro and then they would pick up on this once they've, once they've watched that or they would maybe just read it in a magazine. But overall, going back to the the bare bones here as a story. I thought they absolutely nailed it. It's just would have done it in the one week. I don't think so, but they still they still pulled it off for me. I thought it was really really well told. Whoever yeah, wrote I mean, it, creating the serum. Yeah, I mean, to a point, I have to say that this is more than a one week angle. I just you know, obviously this has been building for for over a month. It's just more. It's been quite a slow build, and then oh fuck, half an hour lot changed. It's like well. You know, there were, I think there were better ways of doing that. Um, I think the other thing was, Wayne, I thought they asked a bit too much of the acting ability of both Undertaker and Bear. I think Bear just about managed it, but I'm not sure about Undertaker's big, long monologue. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I disagree with that. I thought he's, uh, he, he's done quite well. Um, the fact that I know seeing more humanised than I did before. He's, he's probably done a done a good job with um you know with the talking that he has done and and the promos etc. Um, so I don't know whether I I disagree with um with that. Not not to say that you that you're wrong in any way, but uh, um I, th- I think he's done quite well himself on the Turker with uh, throughout the um throughout the month with uh, with everything that he said and not just what he said but his his, his actions um, you know whether he's wanted to hit Burr or whether he's wanted wanting to go against Burr, and then in the end had to, you know, pretty much do what what Burr has said. As uh, you know, he, he's played it quite well. Um, but that's that's my opinion. And then we move on to the story that we've been holding off for the entire show. It is the the latest in the, the Shawn Michaels Bret Hart talk about chapters and and you know not rushing through things. We're rushing through things at lightning speed, but this is all real. Um, so to fill into the backstory that we we kind of been covering for a while, there's been a you know building animosity between the two in terms of how they interact on screen and the things they're allowed to say and the things they shouldn't say, etc. And it sounds like one point I think it, at the end of April there was this kind of mutual truce that they would well not really any other formal truce there was this truce between the two of them that they would basically ease off certain things about what they were saying, which lasted about three weeks and that it 
kind of fell apart a bit again with Brett's extended promo that ran out of time last month and then Michael's talking about, you know, I'm not sure you could last 10 minutes doing anything, if you know what I mean, and then talking about how he, he'd experienced sunny days, all of that. And then basically uh, what I would imagine amongst other things that they were trying to come up with how they were going to finish the prospective Brett and Michaels match uh, at the pay-per-view. Um, now, I've got a feeling that that was, yeah, it was stopped because Brett wasn't going to be fit in time. That's why they switched to, to Michaels versus Austin. Um, but abundantly, it became abundantly clear the next night at Raw that uh, Austin and Brett got into a, a scuffle backstage before the show started. Uh, they had an argument. Apparently, Brett threw the first punch, and I get the impression that Brett came out of the fight slightly better off, but I think it got it got broken up before anything could really happen. Um, and then Michaels basically just went, stormed out. Yeah, Michaels is the guy that you know, pretty overtly doesn't want to be around the WWF anymore. Um, his friends are probably making a lot more money, having a lot more fun, a lot more independence in, uh, in Atlanta, and it's not particularly a big secret that he'd like to be joining them. Um, you know, Michaels is also under contract for, I think, four more years. Um, and basically, yeah, he stormed out. Um, and there was basically this thought of, well, you know, WF could hold Michaels in breach of contract and whether they'd be paying him or not. And apparently Michaels went home and disconnected his phone so nobody could contact him at all. Um, and there was basically this thought the the, the following, you know, in, in the coming days of how they'd handle it. It became clear at some point that WF had at least got in contact with Michaels or at least his representatives because of the way they were presenting it. I think, dare I say, had they, um, you know, there was a thought that Brett might come out the following week on Raw, the third week, um, and basically turn the thing into a storyline or potentially shoot on Michaels, and they essentially stopped him doing that because they were trying to keep Michaels in their good book, and you, you, you do kind of want to a point where Michaels is, is more hassle than he's worth, but he is, a, he is a star who's inside the tent, and you want to learn him outside of there. Um, and then, yeah, we've kind of gone through the rest of the month. Um, they're talking about a Michaels return, perhaps some point in July, perhaps not. Um, and Dal, it's just the latest in the this chapter. I mean, if they could ever get the two of them in the ring, I mean, Brett said in a uh, apparently saying privately that there's no chance he's going to put over Michaels cleaning the ring again, uh, which to a point I guess makes sense if you if you don't think you know. Essentially, Brett saying that Michaels fakes an injury so that he wouldn't have to do return the favor at WrestleMania, so that all makes sense. Um, and you must wonder now whether there's going to be any situation where they're going to be able to put these two in the ring effectively. But equally, they're, they're caught between rock and a hard place. Because I talk about matches people want to see. People want to see this match. I would say so. I might see it. I'd imagine the three is why to see it. But it's what you're going to get. Because, I mean, I would trust Bret Hart to be whiter than white, I would trust Bret Hart to be an absolute professional, but I certainly, as, as much as I admire him, I could not trust Sean. I, I wouldn't trust Sean to go to the shop for me with £2 and come back with a pint of milk and a loaf of bread. I, I really wouldn't, because he's just got that kind of knack about him. As much as you're going to get a show... You're asking for a go and get a bag of flour and he comes out with a bag of white powder, right? Basically, aye. And I don't think he would even share it with you when he bought it. But um, I, I don't know, it's kind of like you want to see it on TV, but then at the same point, can you trust the two of them to be on TV when you can't even trust them to be backstage and go on kind of amicably 
mean, Brett's obviously got his truer about him. I don't know who Sean thinks about it. He doesn't seem like the guy that makes many pals. And I think the pals that he has got are a couple of hundred miles or a couple of thousand miles south, as you say. Um, I think it's certainly captivating because as much as it's interesting reading about these kerfuffles, for want of a better term, in newsletters, it would be even more interesting if you got to see it in if you got to see it on the telly every week. But again, it goes back to what's the payoff? Because I mean, I don't think I don't think the two of them could go into a ring and actually trust each other to look after each other. But I, the, the selfish bit of me still wants to see it, and it's it's just like it's like Nolan Liam Gallagher, isn't it? It's like these two that are obviously kind of got some about them, but they just don't seem to click, and um. I mean, I want to see it, but it's just what's the what's the end result of this? I mean, are we just going to see Sean going down south, or are we going to see Brett just sticking to tag team matches with the Heart Foundation? Or, it just seems to be a big waste, and it's going to be a pity because I just want to see them in there. It's like Hulk Hogan just ran riot for like ten, fifteen years and wouldn't put anybody over. But when you're only dealing with one man, it's easy enough to get somebody else to go in with them, then move on to the next the next feud when it's Two of probably the most popular people that you've got, Brett in Canada, Sean in America. What do you do with them when the obvious, the obvious outcome is just build it up to WrestleMania and let them have another match? I wouldn't let it go sixty minutes, but just let them kind of build, kind of dance around about each other, and then it comes to the climax, and then apparently it's going to be Brett winning because Sean isn't going to be. Sean isn't be going to get the, the belt put on him if it's anything to do with Bret Hart but I don't know it's it's a really a really strange thing to be seen backstage more than on screen I just hope they can hopefully work out something so we can see it because it would be a shame not to yeah I, I think you know as and when Sean returns you kind of feel like someone's just got to sit the two of them down in the room together. I don't know if Vince McMahon's the best guy to do it. I kind of feel like someone like a it's got Pat Patterson it. yeah, would, would be the guy that would come to mind. Sit the two of them down in the room and just kind of, you know, just say, look, this, you know, you guys might not like each other. I know there's trust issues, but fucking hell, if you guys can learn to, you guys can come up with a truce. I'm not just talking about the premise here. I'm talking about everything and a mutually assured agreement about going forward, there's a fuckload of money to potentially be made between this program. Like, inadvertently, like, that's the thing. It's about its simplicity, its believability, and because the fact it's largely real, it's like, look, you know, outwardly you can be like this, but we need you two on the same page when it comes to the big moments, because if we can, we're all going to make a lot of money together. And ultimately, that's the goal for all of them, right? I mean, I know Brett turned down a massive contract from, from WCW, but ultimately, you know, they'd love to be making more money and, and getting more fans in, etc. Everyone wins. So like nobody loses in this situation. I feel like a guy like Pat Patterson is, it, it, it was the name that came to mind. It's just like, sit him down and just say, look, this, we need to change something about this. And we all benefit from it. Why are your thoughts on, on any of the above? Yeah, I mean, I can't really disagree with anything you've said. You know, I think apart from, um, you know, we, we all want to see Austin go at it with the Heart Foundation 
I think in reality, Michaels versus Brett is something that's been brewing for for years now, um, and it, it's definitely something that we, you know, that that we'd love to 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 see go off in the in the ring again. Like Dell says, though, if there's no end game to it, then do we really waste our time with it? Um, Michaels isn't going to put Hart over. I think Hart, rightly so, doesn't want to put Michaels over because uh, of what happened previously. So what do we get? Do we just get you know matches that just end in no finishes? I think it would be the wrong thing altogether. So like you guys said, if if someone uh, can reason with these two, and I think you've just hit the nail on the head there, Bob, by you know sitting them down and saying, look, people are, are loving this rivalry between you both. And you know, if you if you look at the dollar signs and look at what we can do, if uh, if we you know do good business between ourselves, you know we can not only will we bring um, fans through the door, but we can make a, a shitload of money from it. So uh, you know, whether Michaels would uh, do that, I'm not sure. Um, Brett himself, I think he would be more looking at the respect side of things rather than the money side of things. But you know, I'm, I'm sure he's there to make money as well. Um, as I said, you know, just to just to wrap it up, if if there's no end game, then is there really any point going going any further? Yeah, and it, it, it's going to be really difficult. Like Enos Patterson could sit down in the room and and think he got them on the same page. Like, say you get them to say SummerSlam. Like when the bell rings, there's no guarantee that that you know mutually assured agreement is going to stay together, and then it becomes the case of. Oh shit! You know what happens now? Like you, you know, the best case scenario is the match completely falls apart. The worst case scenario is they start fighting, um, as they kind of did backstage. You know, I don't think either of them are particularly tough. I mean, you know, you could, I suppose, you could put Shamrock in the ring with them and just say, look, <laughs> if if, uh, if either of you get on the wrong end of the stick, Shamrock's going to come after you. Like you could do that, um, but that wouldn't op- optics wise, that wouldn't work at all well. Sean and Shamrock, Brett and Dan Seven, tag team night work. Ah, uh, yeah, but well, no, it, no, it needs to be Tank Abbott. You <laughs> could referee it. We could know, but it's just that, like there's you know enough people. Like Seven's not that guy, you know. And Seven ain't gonna fight a shoot fight along you know, for the sake of wrestling. Abbott would, like you know, Abbott would do that. Um, but yeah, I think that's the big problem is that even if you can sit them down and get an agreement, how can you trust them? And like you know, you can you can talk to them every day between now and showtime. You're only gonna know once the bell rings, and if they. You know, if they start fighting, then what happens? I don't know, that's really intriguing. And to a point, like, if that's on pay-per-view, you've already earned your buy rate. Oh, it's fucking um, ratings, isn't it? But, um, but then how do you get out of it? It's fascinating, if nothing else. It's fascinating to follow. You know, reality is often better than uh, the, the, the storyline. Um, but, yeah, they've got, you know, they've got more immediate problems. You, you sense Michael's one step. I mean, hell, like, you know, it, it never happened. But as a, as a guy that's just started following baseball recently, it's like, well, what if WWF went to WCW and went, look, we've got Shawn Michaels on the contract. He wants to join you. We're not going to let him go unless, and then and then just name a list of demands. So we want Piper. That'd be a that's a you know that's a fascinating thought process. Vince McMahon runs up Eric Bischoff and says, "We'll give you Michaels if you'll send us these three guys in return." I wonder. I wonder how that deal could level out. I wonder who 
who the WWF could get in return, they'd be satisfied about that. Because if Michaels, if you can't trust Michaels to be in money spots, then it does make sense to have him around, but it makes it very difficult to have him around. You know, we're not having Michaels but saying, well, he can't travel to Canada because he can't get out of the country. No, it's like, well, he's around, but we can't, we can't finish things off. It's like, could Vincent Mann pick up the phone and say, you know, give us Piper, give us the Giant, and fuck it, give us Luger as well, because I want to have another go with that. Like, yeah, that kind of thing. Can, can, give me, now that Luger's over, can I have him back? Like, you know, I just wonder whether that, you know, it never happened. But the, the, the hypothetical is interesting, nothing else. Fascinating story. In to see what happens. We don't know whether Michaels is coming back. It sounds like he's on at least talking terms with representatives at the company. And we'll see what happens. And that will wrap up this much. A uh, big thank you, firstly, to Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks very much, Bob. Uh, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, L84. And to, to Del Muir, thank you very much for raising from your slumber at, you know, half past nine in the morning or whatever it was for our uh, now traditional early start. Del, I'm all right, right. Now, man. I'm, I'm starting to slowly become awake now, and it's nice to... Well, the, 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 the logic behind doing the shows early, and as someone that gets up at 6 o'clock every day for work, 10 o'clock is not early, but the logic behind doing the shows early is it's now 20 to 1, we can do shit with the rest of our days, rather than doing the stuff at 6 in the evening, 5 in the evening, where you you know, you know, kind of have to get prepared and you've got more time to prepare for the show. You've got, you can do something with the rest of your day now. That is the idea. I'll go uh, back to bed now, sorry. Yes. Yes. Del, thank you very much. Tell me what Always you a pleasure. Nice to celebrate my three-year anniversary with you, Bobby. And uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, Del underscore Muir. Like, like all good partnerships, I completely forgot your anniversary. There we go. Um, but yes, um, there are four volumes for you this month. Um, I, uh, as I started the intro for the show, in my mind, I went, fuck, I've got no idea what order we're going in. So while I was reading, while I was kind of talking through the usual opening... I kind of, in my head, went, well, it's King of the Rings, so that'll be Volume 1. WCW's Volume 2, ECW's Volume 3, and they're like, I don't think we've got anything else this month, and we don't, but we do have the boxing show that we're going to take kind of early July, that is for June. So that is Volume 4, that'll be Tyson Holyfield Number 2. WCW Volume Number 2, looking at the Great American Bash and all things surrounding that. Volume Number 3, Texas at ECW, looking at their Wrestlepalooza show, the final chapter in Raven versus Tommy Dreamer. Uh, Dell, thank you very much for joining us on WWF this month. I did swap Dell and Rory over on the uh, on the TV duties this month, and I think Dell misunderstood it to think I was swapping them permanently. Uh, um, definitely one I watch. Dal, uh, Dal sent me a message like, this is a bit weird. Like, I'm getting WF now just while it's starting to get good. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. And I put, I put Rory through all the, like, the, the, the dreadfulness of the last seven or eight months on Raw and then uh, and then moving across the Nitro and Raw starts to get hot. Fucking raging. I thought I'd want to watch. I want a fucking goldfish and there was a hole in the fucking bag. Yes. No, there's nothing, not that wrong with Nitro. It's not that bad. Not yet. Wait, wait till it goes to three hours next year. Then it'll be bad. Um, yes, yes. We'll, we'll work something out around that. Uh, a reminder that if you'd like to say thank you or to get early access to shows like these, I hope, if I can get this edited in the next 48 hours, uh, you can do so at patreon.com for five bucks a month. We Five bucks a month? We'll try that again. Five bucks? That's a very different page from that. Five Sign bucks me up. A, Sign me up. Yes. 
it'd be a bit more popular if it was. For five bucks a month, you can get early access to shows where possible, or you'd just like to say thank you for us contributing to your podcasting lives and taking you back through the ups and downs of wrestling in the mid to late 90s. You can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20RS on our links on our website and in the podcast description. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba. You can find all the information you need at wrestling20yrs.com. And that's it. I've been Bob Bamba. This has been volume number one the June 1997 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.